Hey there, Dave here. Before getting into the episode, I have some cool people that I would like to say thank you to. People like the Top 3 Podcast Crew, Chris Nelson, Zolgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, and Jill. These lovely people have all gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and supported the tube and the podcasts within. You can be just like them by heading to patreon.com slash realdavejackson. As little as $2 per month will get you some treats like voting rights on what comes up on episodes of a top three podcast and tales from the backlog, bonus episodes and bonus content, and much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Check it out. That'd be very cool of you, and you would be my hero. All right, on to the show. Everybody, my name is Dave Jackson, and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. My guests, plural, today are friends of the show, hosts of the Friday Night Games cast, and needle in eyeball enthusiasts, Nick and Will. Welcome, guys. Awesome. Thanks Glad so to be much, here. Dave. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, very much like the needles in the eyeballs. I, I was going to say, you boys ready for some eyeball torture? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, time. we're ready for it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Prey, uh, which is a first-person shooter immersive sim developed by Arcane Studios Austin ooh, and ooh. published by Bethesda in 2017. We got some elevator pitches for Prey if you're listening and you don't know what this game is, so I will kick it to you guys first. What do you got? Okay, I'll go first. Um, so Prey 2017 developed by arcane austin studios and published by bethesda softworks is a futuristic psychological horror thriller with intense scares mind-bending twists engaging gameplay and everyone's favorite dystopian corporatism yes (laughs) very good all right will what do you got so i got in this oppressive space drama no one can hear you scream or cry or turn into a coffee mug very good Uh, i wrote down a modern immersive sim in space Mm -hmm. space 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 (laughs) also not prey 2006 or the 2022 predator movie we have way too many media items named prey now uh can we just like say this is it no more it's a moratorium on using the title prey agreed (laughs) um and spoiler policy for this episode this will be a pretty normal uh episode of the show nothing really this isn't one of those games where it's like you can't talk about it it's nothing like that so we're just going to keep story spoilers for the spoiler section Um, if this is your first time listening we'll go no spoilers for a while so check down in the show notes for a timestamp for when that spoiler section begins also want to make a note we are not talking about the dlc prey moon crash that is a totally different thing and it will get its own episode coming to you next week Uh, but spoiler alert it's good you should play it Mm -hmm. yeah i can't wait to get to that 
yeah, I, uh, I don't want to get too much into it, but if you like this game, you're going to like Moon Crash for sure. So before we get into talking about Prey, I want to turn it over to you guys and you can explain what Friday Night Gamecast is all about because this is uh, like a couple recent guests, a pretty, I don't want to say new now because you guys are like well in the swing of things, but you guys came onto the scene handful of months ago, I want to say, and I think you guys are doing really good shit. So tell everyone what's going on. Oh, well, thank you so much for that, Dave. I mean, the kind words mean everything to us. And that's why we keep going is because, you know, we just got this really, really awesome community of folks around us. And uh, you're right. We started off in May. And I think Will and I have just gotten into a group of everything, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having weekly episodes release and just kind of getting into that cycle, getting into that habit of recording, editing, publishing, creating content that ties into it. It's, uh, it's, it's been a really great experience. But for those of you who haven't heard us that are, uh, you know, a part of uh, Dave's fantastic following and community. We are the Friday Night Gamecast, both Will and I. Uh, we're a variety podcast, this kind of laid, laid back club style. We really lean on just us, our, our wonderful personalities just playing off of each other. And we do a little bit of everything. We have our hands in a little bit of everywhere. Um, we talk about uh, game impressions, reviews. We dig into the news for the video game industry. We talk about rumors. Uh, whenever any showcases pop up, you can count on us to kind of be able to break down those showcases, dig into anything that's new that's coming out there provide some crazy theories and hypotheses so uh, we dig into a little everything we try to balance it between you know the big three the nintendo xbox and playstation so everybody kind of gives a more wholesome view of where we are at the industry every day you know i told will a long time ago part of like my passion for this is because you know working so hard in the middle of 2020, I realized I had barely had any time to play games, which is why I I switched over. And and I kind of really want to gear our content towards people who, you know, maybe only have four or five hours a weekend to, to actually play a game. And so, you know, maybe they can listen to our show and get caught up on everything else. But yeah, Yeah, it's, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's, (laughs) it's good stuff. And so for the first thing I, I kind of, noticed like when i listened to episode one of friday night gamecast i was like holy this these guys had to have been podcasters before this sounds too like too nice it's you should go back and listen to like episode one of a top three podcast like the first podcast i ever did sounds like shit compared to uh, what you guys have going on so that was immediate like oh these guys sounds good the stuff they're talking about it's good and i've been thinking about this because like i don't listen to a whole lot of these weekly kind of grab bag type shows, you know, Mm -hmm. like the people talking about the news uh, one week, then talking about a game the next week. I've kind of realized that like, I like to know what's coming from podcasts that I listen to, but for the ones that I do listen to, like your show, uh, it's got, you guys have to be bringing something like interesting to the table. And I think the conversations and the knowledge and stuff that you guys bring to it is really, really good. And so it's, it's moved up to like, you know, whenever Friday night Gamecast drops, I check out what you guys are talking about. It's, I mean, every time I listen, you guys are, you're bringing something interesting to the conversation. So I really appreciate you guys. And I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank Dave. you. That's and it's always a part of the game plan. You know, me and Nick, we've been friends um, since pandemic or pandemic friends. So we've been yeah. rocking it, <laughs> rocking it that way for a while. And, you know, we have a lot of good fun. We have a lot of laughs and we like to rib each other back and forth and just kind of have a um, Really, really mm-hmm. good introspective talks when it comes to games specifically is obviously what really kind of bonded us together. Um, yeah. So being able to take that and translate it 
fairly seamlessly across into the podcast um, community is the mm-hmm. feedback that we're getting and we love hearing that so we definitely appreciate it when someone's like oh man have you guys done this before it sounds like uh, your episode one's fire I'm like oh thank you yeah. but one is just that we're super comfortable love talking to each other so it comes across very easy also mm-hmm. this man became an editing king as fast <laughs> as can be he was like you know what I'm gonna learn about editing a podcast and get really good at it in two weeks and then he's just been, you know, <laughs> cranking them out, making them sound awesome every single time. So he's definitely probably the shining star when it comes to making us just sound good from a technical level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does sound good. And uh, you, like you guys said, that kind of co-host partner dynamic really, really works. And as you guys know, I'm the only permanent member of this show. Um, mm-hmm. And from time to time, I listen to shows that have really good like dynamics between the hosts. And I'm like, fuck, I should get a co-host. Like, what am I doing over here? <laughs> and you guys are definitely one of those shows. So another uh, big recommendation for everyone to check out Friday Night Gamecast. You'll find links down in the show notes so you can easily find them. Highly recommended. Uh, backlog approved. TM. Awesome. Let's go. We got that. We're going to put that on our bio. Give me the stamp. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get into talking about Prey. And um, we'll start with our histories with the game. What made us want to play Prey? Uh, Kind of history with Immersive Sims, Arcane Studios, whatever it is that brought you to it. Uh, So I'll kick to you guys. Uh, What made you want to play it? So I'll say when it comes to Arcane specifically, I've been looking for a reason to get into Arcane games. Like everyone talks up how great they are. And I have dipped my hands in, and that's the most I can say. I've never, to this point, completed an arcane game. Um, as far as the immersive sims, I, I also can't say I've really completed those fully. I've jumped in and out of Deus Ex a little bit when I was younger, but I always felt like I was a little inexperienced and immature to fully complete one of those games through. Mm-hmm. If a game gives me too many options, I'm like, cool, I'm going to do none of it. So <laughs> I run around like the, the opening area, just seeing how many people I can like piss off or how many things I can throw around, how much trash I can move. And then I kind of go on to the next shooty McBang Bang when I was younger. But I was really, really looking for a reason to get into arcane games. This came out and I love the old prey, the like old, you know, aliens and spear arrows prey. And I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. That was a surprisingly fun game. I know the poor sequel that got axed. And then this was just like nothing really about it, but same name. So I was like, okay, if they can kind of pull some of that spirit, if they can do anything like that, and then it's Arcane, which is the studio I've been looking to get involved with anyways, then I'm going to try it out. So while I do have this on my true backlog, this is my first time getting to it because I kept looking at it and saying, maybe next time, (laughs) maybe (laughs) next time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I eventually worked my way to it. Right on. Nick, how about you? So I remember quite vividly when this game first came out, I was actually in the middle of putting together the last final pieces and touches of my undergraduate thesis in 2017. So, and this came out in like later May, 2017, I believe. Um, but yeah, there was no way I was going to be touching any shape or form of video game because I was working full time while, mm-hmm. you know, finishing my undergrad. And so I was just kind of like, you know, you do that and then you sleep or you choose not to sleep, you know, however that works. So there was no way I was going to be playing this game, you know, when it released at launch. However, I do vividly remember, uh, the promotional buildup when it came out, you know, just generally on YouTube videos, I think Bethesda did a decent job of actually getting 
reading it like in front of people's faces. Um, but I also remember that the trailers that were released for this game during that promotional buildup were very confusing. Like I, I genuinely think that it was a kind of a swing and a miss from a marketing perspective. And it's also kind of really hard. Like how do you get with the marketers, you know, in that room and be like, okay, how do we make a trailer for this game where we don't lie to people about what this experience is? Cause we can mm-hmm. do quick cut compilations of Morgan firing off, you know, you know, weapons into an alien, or we could do, you know, comps of them sneaking by or doing hacking and all that stuff. But if you don't have a holistic view of it, like, you know, how do you, how do you actually give it to, or make sure that your audience is, you know, taken in. And I think that probably was just something they struggled with. I, similar to Will, I knew about Arcane from the Dishonored series, uh, which is also one of the reasons why I kind of wrote pray off when it first came out because I can never really find a groove with Dishonored, uh, find a groove with them. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I really just, I had a, tr- a, a, I started it one or two times and I just like, I was like, maybe this just isn't for me. And I finally put it down and didn't get back to it. Um, but at one point later on, I was watching some kind of Xbox showcase and then Pete Hines caught on screen and he, they, people started asking him questions. What are your favorite games? What do you think is the most underrated game? And Pete Hines like came forward and he was like, I genuinely think that not only is Arcane Austin, one of the most talented studios that Bethesda, you know, has, you know, in their portfolio now, but I think they're the most talented in the industry, like hands down period point blank. And this is the man that's coming from Bethesda Softworks himself. Um, and then he also says that Prey 2017 was the most underrated, like first person immersive sim of the PS4 Xbox one generation. And so at that point I added it to my backlog. I was like, Oh, well, Pete Hines says so. And it's gotta be truth. Right. (laughs) And and so I was like, so I added to my backlog and then other things kind of slowly took priority over the course of time. And, um, and now like this show gave me the best excuse to really dig in and play it. And I had a great time. Right on. Yeah. So unlike you guys, I, in 2017, I wasn't really playing video games that much. I played breath of the wild and uh, I, I think I've told this story before, but that was, I hadn't played games for like the last couple of years. I saw there was a new Zelda game and I was like, that'd be a nice, like last video game to play. Right. Mm. Last oh, Zelda last game, video game, last ever. one of all time. Right. <laughs> I, I was, I was kind of over it. And then Breath of the wild, like invigorated me that like, Oh no, video games are the best actually. And so I got back into it, but I wasn't paying attention to releases and stuff. I didn't really get super into that till about 2018, 2019. So I missed prey the whole thing. Um, I didn't okay. know that arcane studios had a new game. I played dishonored uh, right when it released. I remember buying that because I saw Bethesda and I was like, Bethesda made Skyrim and Morrowind. Some of my favorite games ever. I'll buy mm-hmm. that. It looks yeah. cool. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know about thief or deus ex or any of those old games like that. Yeah. Um, so I love dishonored. And then when I found out like, I've told this, I've said this so many times at this point on the show, but like when I got a PS4 and I was like looking up like best PS4 games to play, what did I miss during this time? Prey was on a lot of those lists, you know? So it became one of those games that I was super interested in, but I thought it was going to be really scary. And I'm a big baby when it comes to jump scares. So, uh, and I knew about the mimics and stuff. So I was like, you know what? Mm, Maybe not. And then... I kept, I put it on my wish list as gamers do, you know, I had, didn't really have an intention of playing it, but I put it on my wish list anyway, cause I got to spend money on stuff, right? right. Gamer behavior. <laughs> um, so I kind of like got to a point where I was like, Hey, 
Dave, come on, like you love Dishonored. This studio, they know what they're doing. Plus you're 33 years old. You can do this. So I bought it and I started it up and I got so scared that I uninstalled it uh, during the opening. Oh no. And I'll tell you guys about it in the spoiler section, but um, about a week later, I was like, Dave, you're 33 years old. You can do this. So I booted (laughs) it back up and I made it like a couple rooms further and got so scared I uninstalled it again. And then I really picked it back up and I like flew through the game after that. Yeah. It took me about 20 to 25 hours. I think my like game completion screen said 23. Uh, How about you guys? Do you guys know how long it took? Yeah. Mine, it said 32, but I can't tell if it was a true 32 or if it was me messing around with, uh, you know, how the Xbox quick resume it just mm-hmm. completely skews your overall time. So it's like <laughs> yeah, in right. real life, I played it for 20 yeah. hours, but it says I played 32. I feel like it's closer to maybe like a 25, 26. Cause I did a, a decent amount of backtracking and running around. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So just to get it, you know, out in the open up front, I did not actually finish the game. Okay. Um, I was under a crunch, uh, a lot just in, in general life and work and stuff, but I did get very, very close. I essentially got right up into the point where, um, doll shows up to the station. No spoilers. I mean, obviously nobody at this point will understand what that means, but, mm-hmm. uh, I got there and looking at the game clock, I, I clearly must be not using my time very efficiently because I was at 35 hours at that point. Um, and you know, I know that's like within striking distance of actually just finishing the game. Uh, but I just, yeah, I, I didn't have to have the opportunity to do so. Um, so I feel like I've, I was much less efficient with my time versus you guys, where I imagine <laughs> maybe you guys were just going from main line objective to objective to objective. Is that what you know. felt like? You know, we're definitely going to talk about it later. There were points towards like the end where I was just like, I'm running. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I think I'm I have a note that says running. exactly that. So, <laughs> um, all right, fair enough. Uh, so let's Let's get into some kind of opening thoughts, kind of introduce how we feel about Prey. And um, I'll get us started this time. Uh, I think that this is um, probably, I go back and forth about, is this my favorite arcane game between this and Dishonored 2? I think they're both pretty much masterclasses in the immersive sim genre. And this, like playing this, playing Moon Crash also over the last month or so, and just thinking about like how much fun I have. I think that immersive Sims are other than from software games, my favorite genre of video game. Um, I think that there's almost nothing better than some of the like experiences you get in this type of game. And you get so many of those experiences and like cool skills and cool toys to play with and pray. I love the story and um, I really enjoyed some of the twists that it gives you. So this is like, uh, just incredibly easy, like straight off the bat, incredibly easy recommendation for me to make. And I know we'll talk about who will recommend it to and stuff later, but this game is awesome. And I hope you guys feel the same. <laughs> I am mirroring almost everything that, that you said, Dave, I absolutely loved this game from top to bottom. I think it was a fantastic, uh, just, just work of art. And, it, you know, part of playing this game was really interesting because, you know, I, I had had hands on with Dishonored before, but something about that that experience at that time and maybe i just wasn't used to immersive sim styled games whereas now i have a lot other types of experiences that have informed me to actually be able to play this game in an effective way so i think that might have contributed towards that but 
I went into this game thinking I wasn't going to like it at all. The first 10 minutes <laughs> of this game got me though. Like I, I got in and I was like, I was walking around, okay, reading an email, picking up an object, throwing it across the room. Okay, that's fine. Um, but then obviously when that story moment hits, that's when everything changed for me. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're in the chopper from the facility and you see Arcane Austin in those big bold letters as like a uh-huh. little sign on top of the skyscraper. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then, and then, you know, when you get in that moment, I'm like, oh my God, it's <laughs> all over again. What is happening? <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I just had an incredible time playing it. Uh, Will had to admonish me at one point because I was talking to him while we were playing. And I was like, I told him, I was like, dude, this game looks crazy good. Nobody told me this game was a visual feast. And he was like, bro, it came out in 2017. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I was, and then I thought about it. I was like, Cuphead, Hellblade. Near Automata, Breath of the Wild, some of like the best games like of all time that people still consider Horizon today. And this Dawn. is the same year. I mean, it's not yeah. like mm-hmm. it's not like we're talking about 2006, 2005 games here, which is you know it's just it's still crazy to think about. But uh, yeah, I I really love this game. There are lots of critri- critiques that we can get to later on, mm-hmm. um, but I think that everything in terms of the ideas of this video game and the way that they were implemented from the narrative direction and the emergent gameplay it was it's a win for me yep so i definitely want to go ahead and start off with the fact that i beat this game by accident on hard <laughs> so, <laughs> so a lot of the stuff i'm gonna say from now to the rest of the episode is gonna be from the perspectives of somebody who is playing on hard under the assumption that it was normal because <laughs> oh, no. i had it i had it on hard initially <laughs> And then I was, I got to uh, an area where some of the enemies, like during the game, it will spike in difficulty as you gain new things. It gives you a little bit, then it takes a little bit back. It doesn't want you to ever feel too powerful. So mm-hmm. I hit that first like big, bigger spike. And then I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to put this on normal so I can beat this game because I'm getting frustrated. And I thought I did, but I guess I left it on hard and then I beat <laughs> the enemy and I was like, cool, normal is much easier. And then <laughs> proceeded to like semi-struggle through the game. But all in all, I did have a really good time with it. Um, I got plenty of critiques as far as my own thing, just because in general, I was never really the audience for an immersive sim. I played a little bit of Thief when I was really, really young and similar to how I mentioned with um, Deus Ex, didn't really have the like maturity, didn't have the time for it. So I was like, this is kind of neat, but it was never really my thing. And then I mentioned Deus Ex there. But I guess the first true immersive sim, and I know I may get kind of attacked online for saying this, but it's like Bioshock 1. That was my like first kind of true immersive sim. I know a lot of people saying it's more of an action game, which is probably why I liked it a lot. But seeing that nice mix there was me. So in the back of my head, you know, you try to play a game, you're not comparing it, but you're like, cool, how's this like Bioshock? How's this like Bioshock? Am I enjoying this as much as I did? But all in all, I did have a really good time with it. But going through some of these overall sections, I was just kind of like, man, I wish I had some plasmids right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I I would say as far as like just those initial thoughts, I know we're going to talk about the opening very shortly, but that opening really sets you up to have just like an incredible time. Like I think I was talking to Nick and talking to some other friends who had played it before. And I was like, why didn't y'all tell me this game was so good? I played the first 15 minutes and I'm going to have the best Mm -hmm. time of my life. Yeah, 100%. And we're going to get into, well, we're not going to spoil what goes on in that opening, but it is very strong. We're going to get into the story and stuff like that after this little music break here.
So in Prey, the game is set in uh, an alternate history, uh, which like the alternate history stuff is not like front and center, but it's there if you want to go look for it. If you want to read stuff, uh, especially if you want to like pick up books and like the little tablets and stuff they have around, which I, I never too do. Much of that, I, no, I never do. Read the books. Oh, it's, it's my thing. <laughs> yeah, that probably I, accounts for maybe ten <laughs> of my thirty-five hours. God. Okay, so I don't often do that uh, in a lot of video games. I think the the Elder Scrolls like burned me out of reading books and games, but mm. uh, these are interesting. And so it's an alternate history uh, where JFK was not assassinated. Uh, the space race kind of accelerated to a point where we have big space stations out in space, uh, people living on them, research happening, kind of like the ISS, but like way, 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 way bigger, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, in this, uh, the Soviets encountered an alien species called the Typhon aboard a ship. Uh, then there was a bunch of changing hands of the ship. Now it's in the possession of the Transtar Corporation, which is the corporation that you, your character works for. Uh, so... The station is named Talos-1, and it is a Typhon, the aliens, research station, and the setting of the game. And the Typhon, which are the aliens, are very present throughout the entire game, uh, and they are cool and scary to think about because they can kind of shapeshift, they can um, multiply in all kinds of scary ways, and everyone who has who has seen anything about Prey has seen the Mimics. Um, mm-hmm. and the mimics are these kind of little spider crab, almost like half-life, like head crab looking yeah, things, crabs. except, exactly. except they're black and they are, uh, a lot more alien looking and they can shape shift into anything that's nearby. And if there's one famous thing about prey, it's these mimics. So I just want to kind of camp out here and talk about our experience with these. You want to talk about taking an entire game, an entire world, even like a room and just making it super scary to walk through. That's exactly what the mimics did mm-hmm. from like the first time seeing that one is going to, you know, replicate a cup, replicate a chair. Uh, every time I see two of anything next to each other, I was just swinging the wrench every single time I walked <laughs> into a room. Like they made it just horrific to walk from A to Z just because uh-huh. I'm like, cool, I'm going to get like a, a crazy shrill shriek when they pop out next to me. Uh, do a sneak attack into my back, which jars the screen and freaks me out. And then I have to turn around and try to swing on it before it turns into something else for it to like Mm -hmm. sneak attack me. Like they did a great job. The mimics themselves are just, at least from everything I've seen too, because I did a little bit of research because I like the game a lot as far as the overall mechanics. So I did want to hear from the developers and kind of see some of their more takes and what they did. But some of the stuff they did in the background for the mimics is ridiculous. Even Mm -hmm. so far as treating the mimics as like some of their QA testers, they said the mimics were some of the best QA testers they had just because they would change into things and mess with the game in ways that the developers didn't necessarily think. Oh, of. yeah. Um, and yeah, it also <laughs> made them change up some of their stuff around because like, OK, we don't want the mimics themselves to like turn into a pen and then like fall through a grate and disappear. Mm-hmm. So they had to pretty much make sure that things were set up in the world that were a certain size so it wouldn't bug out if the mimic decided to change into it. Mm. Um and then that also, of course, affects later on things in the game. So it was, it was awesome. Every time I saw Mimic, I was both horrified and also like, this is probably one of my favorite starter enemies in video games in a long time that I've seen. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree with you, Will. I think that these these mimics, they're they definitely I can see how they they pulled Arcane Austin pulled many different references from very various games in terms of okay, like what's the first Typhon that we're going to introduce, you know, the player character to? I really love the the function of the mimics and how they work and how they kind of create like the sense of unease no matter where you are throughout the game and mm-hmm. you know what they do because obviously like the name implies i don't know if we've already blatantly said it but what this actual uh enemy will do is that you'll go into a room and they have the ability to turn into you know an inanimate object any literally any inanimate object that's not bolted down to the to the floor in this game anything that mm-hmm. you can pick up it can turn into so what happens there is that whenever whatever room you walk into you realize that um you know, that that's something in there could be a mimic or not, or everything in there is completely normal. Mm-hmm. I, I found myself getting like, obviously the first, the first time I saw it or the first few experiences that I had with them, it was pretty cool over, over the course of the game though. I was like, they were more kind of nuisances than anything else because I knew at some point, especially when you see duplicates of things in the room, you're like, okay, there are mimics in here, definitely. And I just basically, I started like taking my silence pistol out and like shooting them one by one. I just found it a little bit more effective because if you shoot them while they're transformed, it's an instant kill because it does double damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I found that like for the most part, especially when there are mimics com- like in, like that are uh, paired with phantom encounters that started getting a little bit annoying for me, which is again, we can circle back down to the gameplay, but I I do love it. I do love it. Mm -hmm. I loved the whole concept of how arcane developed those, those uh, characters too, because uh, we watched you and I uh, watched the same making of prey video with uh, arcane Austin. And they talked about how in like the code of this game, when they were originally building it, one of the early builds, there was a, a function where that they ran into an issue where it's like the, mimic turned into a trash can in a room and then it glitched out and then it started repeatedly turning into trash cans over and over and over until the trash can started (laughs) taking up the entire player space and just absorbing (laughs) the entire map as a whole and so they had to like kind of cut it and like figure out that but i just think i think it's really cool because it kind of digs a little bit deeper into that emerging gameplay where even the enemies are doing something that's completely unexpected from a developer perspective which you know lends into that engagement for emerging gameplay Mm-hmm. And like, just to piggyback off of that, like you guys have kind of talked about how much this whole game must have taken so much work to design. But like, if we just want to like focus on the mimics for a second, uh, all the kind of problems that they might present as far as QA goes, I never had a single bug in the entire game. And I didn't either. This counts nice. the base game and moon crash about 40 hours of gameplay. No problems at all. Yeah. So Awesome job by them. And will you mention it, man, like that feeling of walking into a room and instantly not trusting anything. anything. You're like, why is there a chair laying on the floor? What the fuck is this chair doing laying on the floor? You run over and bang it. And then it's, it's just a chair. Just Someone a chair. knocked a chair over earlier <laughs> and it's not a mimic. Yeah. And then, uh, that coffee mug on the, on the desk next to you, that was the mimic. Now it's attacking you. And I think it's interesting that these are, I think, Nick, you mentioned it. These are the basic enemies. These are the most basic form of the Typhon. So yeah. they get you started with this, and then uh, they iterate on it later. Um, we'll talk about that. That's actually one of the only real big critiques I have about the game is that the enemy variety and the kind of combat encounters just get to be a bit much uh, mm-hmm. later on. But 
the mimics as a concept and in execution, like by themselves, they're they're so good. And there's so many moments throughout the game where the story plays on this, or you'll walk into a place where they had mimic problems before and you see what they tried to do to kind of message to each other like this is real this is real this is real not a mimic not a mimic i love There's that a- room that's my favorite <laughs> yeah, you know room, what room in, I'm in talking about. Yes. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i love the sticky notes yeah it's it's so good um and it's kind of a shame that the rest of the typhon uh not i don't want to say all of the rest of them but most of them are fairly boring enemies yep. by comparison yeah. agreed but the mimics i think are a uh, slam dunk and the way they replicate is awesome too. Like the first yeah. time you get to see them, you know, like, Oh, I wonder how these things are born quote unquote. And I'm just like, Oh, that is yeah. horrific. <laughs> you shouldn't <laughs> ask that question. No, Terrifying. not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on Talos one, uh, you play as Morgan, Yu, who is, uh, the sibling of the Transtar president and CEO, Alex, Yu. uh, Alex is voiced by Benedict Wong, who has gone on to do a lot of famous things since this game was released. Uh, so you may recognize that voice. Um, Morgan is invited to tell us one by Alex to work with him. And that's where the game takes place. Uh, you're on the station. Um, the Typhon have caused a bunch of problems and you are trying to figure out what's going on, trying to stop the Typhon threat, save the station, save the crew members, etc. And Morgan is a silent protagonist, uh, which is, you know, silent protagonists are very hit and miss, um, but I never once in this game wished that Morgan said anything because there's story reasons that I can't say right now why Morgan uh, needs to be a silent protagonist. Uh, I mean, Morgan has a voice. It's not like Morgan can't talk, but yep. story reasons that I think are cool. The voice actor for Morgan is actually quite good, too. So. Yeah, you'll mm-hmm. hear Morgan's voice um sometimes throughout the game yeah yeah because i don't think we talked about it ourselves yet but you know you have the option at the beginning for uh a female presenting or male presenting morgan did either Mm -hmm. of you did both of you choose male morgan i did i did the male one yeah my first playthrough i did uh the male morgan and then my replay that i started a couple days ago i chose the female morgan it makes no difference in the game in the game at all um just different voice actor yeah and maybe different hands (laughs) i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah, like I think you might see a little bit of a different hands, but uh, I would say you know, <laughs> female uh, voice actress for Morgan also did a great job too. So all yeah. in all, not missing anything there, picking either one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the game, there's, I don't want to say really much about the story other than what I've already said. You're going through trying to figure out what happened and how you can help, I suppose. Uh, and so a lot of the time throughout the game, you'll be getting instructions from a kind of helper robot uh, named January and from Alex, uh, your, your brother, and you're just kind of doing quests around the station. A lot of the quests are basic space station, you know, in trouble stuff like turn on the power, you know, flush this reactor tube. Uh, Oh no, the hull's breached. Go help out stuff like that. Those are not dead space. stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Those in my opinion are not so interesting, but, the way that you solve those problems is like the bread and butter of the game. We'll get into that in gameplay and you'll go through like the majority of the game. You're by yourself. Uh, so you're going through, and this is classic immersive sim shit going through living quarters, uh, checking out like environmental storytelling, reading emails on computers, stuff like that. And so the overall plot, like the the quest they give you for the main quest stuff is very standard until it's not, you know, stuff like that. I don't, I don't want to say much more, but 
a lot of the side stories that you either directly participate in or you just find by reading people's emails. Um, I think a lot of those are really, really interesting, uh, both yeah, how people deal with, you know, living and working on a space station, because these are like pretty permanent, you know, residents on the space station. It's not like the ISS where they just go up for six months and then come home. Uh, they're up there. They live there. So how yeah. they deal with that and then how they've dealt with shit hitting the fan. Also, like, just as a quick comment, 95% of them are horrible people. Like, the yeah. worst of the <laughs> yeah, worst. Pretty, like, yeah. like, we're talking about the volunteers and the scientists. Mainly the scientists. The volunteers are just there. Yeah, I just, I love that because that was one of my favorite parts of, of that aspect of this game, reading through the emails and just look, looking mm-hmm. at how, like, these corporate people are stabbing each other in the back okay. as soon <laughs> as they can. Um, so, yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. And similar to what you mentioned there, Dave, too, was like they're up there for a good amount of time. So you really get to see the extent of how they were living, how they were interacting, not only in those emails being catty to each other, but when you're going through some of their rooms and, you know, some folks are sitting there playing video games when yeah. they got two pillows and on their email, they're like talking back and forth to a person. So it's like, oh, they had like a little sleepover. They're playing games. Or maybe you're up in an area and there's like a nice little setup for D and D and people have their character sheets out. So you get to mm-hmm. really just see these folks live their lives. It's not that you're walking through this old oppressive space station. Um, I would say, although I love the game, very dead space. Like it's, you see more of people living and you see the world and then you see that it got wrecked. Yeah. It's not, that's it's what not I just love like about a, it. It's just tube. like that. It, yeah. It's just that attention to detail is really what set it off for me. It really just sparked my curiosity and this is like, this is an arcane studios, um, hallmark right here. This environmental storytelling, when you're going through people's living spaces, um, this is something that dishonored is excellent at this is something that death loop was really cool with. If you like dig in and kind of listen to the conversations and read people's stuff in death loop, there's a lot of like cool interpersonal relationships to dig into there too. Uh, they're just really good at this. So no, uh, no surprise that it's really good here too. Um, something that I don't love about this kind of like main quest side quest shuttle run is that in this, um, in the space station, there's like, I don't know, five, six levels, you know, sections to go into, and you are going to just constantly be shuttling back and forth between these places. It's, Yep. Something I've started to notice in uh, games like this, like Near Automata, which is coming up later um, on the show in a, a little bit, this starts to get old. It starts to be like, man, I got to go to the fucking like Arboretum or crew quarters again, again. like the yep. sixth time I got to go to the crew annex. Like, okay. And you're like trying to figure out the best way to get there. Like, okay, if I go this way, there's maybe an elevator that I can take up and down. Or if I have to go this way, I got to jump out of an airlock and float through space to then make my way over to it. Like there's just, mm-hmm. there's no real easy way to get anywhere, which I guess is kind of the point they're making. You know, there's no fast travel. Um, when you go through places, it's not like you beat a bunch of bad guys out and then you never have to worry about that place being empty ever again. You know, you can come back through after clearing a place out and a mimic mm-hmm. hops off of a cup. and and tries to attack you again (laughs) like you're never you're never safe which is what they're going for for sure but it can especially towards the end of the game when you're doing those running back and forth when you've already kind of emptied out every room and you found every piece of loot that you're looking for and all that's really left is the combat then you're like uh this is grating on my soul Mm -hmm. can be for sure 
And I, so the first time I played this was on PS4 and I definitely noticed a bit of improvement on PS5, but the loading times when you go between these big levels were pretty rough. Uh, when I played on PS4, they take a long time. I didn't notice any, I didn't get frustrated with them on PS5 and I don't know if that's because I've become a better person or if it's just because it loads faster. But <laughs> I'm gonna say you became a better person, Dave. Thank you. Thank I'm just you. Go on a limb there. No, I I played this on uh, the PC Game Pass uh, and had zero problems. Going back to what you were saying earlier with the with the bugs, didn't experience a single bug. No matter how hard I tried to break the game, definitely like I think that it really stood up um, in terms of the architecture and the solidarity. I, I just think that it's just very very expertly crafted i agree with you though i think that something that should have been in this game was a fast travel to already discovered locations because i think that like the zero g is fine and it can offer a shortcut at times um but then you there are there are other issues that you face with how they want you to kind of traverse this area. And it just, yeah, it just, it, it kind of takes you out of that immersion a little bit when you have to be like, all right, I have to go back here to pick up a key card again. Really? You want me to do this? And to their credit, even though there is no fast travel, there are a couple ways, two, three ways I can think of to get from one end of the station to another as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. But none of them really replace fast travel. They're, They just make things slightly annoying, but each of them has their own annoying thing in turn, um, such as you you can go out of an airlock and fly through space to another airlock, but then you're in the zero G parts that give me motion sickness. So I didn't do that a whole lot of times. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The first person zero G stuff gets to you every time it's especially yep. because they did a great job too if i can just talk about the zero g they did a fantastic job as far as being able to float around spin around the pitching and like the yawing with the bumpers was amazing but also if i was not facing the right way i had to like pull my ender's game move where i'm like okay the gate is down because if i'm losing my orientation then i'm just like okay i gotta look away from the screen real quick mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it it yeah. gets me it gets me pretty often in stuff where you're just rotating with no real uh control over it gravity rush also gave me motion sickness um stuff like that and mm. this zero g stuff got to me yeah, yeah loading screens weren't too bad though i I, play, I literally i don't even remember the name of it but i played an entire game that was literally just like the entire game was just the zero g elements of prey but they like put it to the soundtrack of claire de lune and then <laughs> they slowed it down a little bit it was i i don't know why i spent money on that game but i was like this is for me so yeah that's just i i, I loved it so much and I, I i just love the fact that you can actually go back all the way out uh, for, I don't know why I backed up from the microphone when I said that, <laughs> but you can, you can, uh, yeah, you can just go all the way back from the space station and look at the entire, like this monolithic structure. I just thought that was really cool. I mean, yeah. They said it was like eight football fields, which is crazy. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, when you do take a zoomed out, look at the station, it should give you a little bit of appreciation for level design and the way that yeah. they, they built this entire thing because the dishonored games and death loop are not like this. They have their own individual levels that you go to for each kind of mission or each um, time period in Deathloop. So that's, props that's to them for building this. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to the Arcane Austin team. They, they really, they put the work in.
Speaking of putting the work in, uh, as an immersive sim, I mentioned this earlier, this must have been a fucking nightmare to design. Immersive sims in general, I think there's a reason why, even though I wish that this was the most popular type of video game, there's a reason why uh, companies don't make it because it takes a ton of work and people don't buy them. So, but me, I mentioned this earlier, I think this is one of my favorite genres of video games. And so as an immersive sim, what that means, if you're listening and you don't know exactly what we mean here, it's there are a bunch of systems going into the game. There's a system for how touchscreens work in the game. There's a system for how this weapon interacts with the environment and so on and so on and add tens and dozens of more systems and they all interlock with each other. So if you know how this weapon works and you know how touchscreens work, maybe you can use this weapon to activate a touchscreen that you can't physically get up next to. And all of these little micro interactions between systems is what makes this just incredible to problem solve in. So, and I was thinking about this. And so when I play Deus Ex and I play Dishonored, Prey, Hitman, Breath of the Wild, I was thinking about this. Breath of the Wild's totally an immersive sim because of this, the way it works. And I come up with a problem. Let's say there's a locked door and I need to get to that touchscreen. What do I have in my skill set, my tool set, my items, my, uh, you know, magic or whatever in this game? What do I have that can help me overcome this? And the developers have designed so many ways to solve that one problem that takes a minute of game time. And it's all because of these interlocking systems. I think this fucking rules and in Prey, you are just constantly doing this and they have designed so many ways for you to be creative, use your tool set in the way that you want to do it. And it just makes for an incredibly fun gameplay experience, problem solving experience. We'll talk about combat in a little bit, but combat's mm-hmm. part of this too. Yeah. Every weapon. Well, I, yeah. I would be able to say just about every weapon, maybe one and you were kind of talking about earlier can be used in both a straight up combat as well as a kind of problem solving or area solving capacity so mm-hmm. one of the grenades um where it you know kind of like i'm thinking grenades aren't really terrible as far as spoilers right like you talk about no, certain no. weapon types okay cool so like the recycler grenade for yes. example is a, an item that you find <laughs> in, one. A, the first time you find it is in a lab which is amazing there's like a mimic stuck inside of a little bubble and you're reading through the information on the computer and it's like here's the recycler grenade here's one if you put it in here drop it in there and see what it does and I'm like, all right, let me check this out. How, how cool can this be? What's it going to do? Click it in there. It sucks the mimic into like a black hole. And, and then it spits out what the mimic would have become if it were to be like recycled in the game. So it'll be like, you know, some mm-hmm. unknown matter, some like pieces of what have you. Um, and I first exotic saw that and material. I was like, yeah, there you go. The exotic material. <laughs> and I first saw that and I was like, this is probably the coolest thing I've seen grenade wise in years. So of course, the more I get, the more I'm just throwing them at things. Until I'm like halfway through the game and I realize that all of those doors that were blocked by things that took leverage level three, which essentially makes you superhuman and allows you to pick up fridges with your bare hands. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, all I have to do is throw a recycler grenade at that and it opens the door. And I realized that because I was getting chased by a Typhon and I was like, oh, there's no way out. Oh, look, there's a door. I threw the grenade. It sucked in the thing. And then I just took off. So mm-hmm. it's it's amazing just recognizing all the different items that you have on your person. And you think, okay, if I don't have this move, if I can't do this, if I can't open this door, what weapon do I have on me? Um, you know, what body or key card can I go find off somebody? Can I go search through the computer 
find a person that I heard in an email has a key card, find that person's body, get the key card from their body and then come back into it. Like you yeah. mentioned it before, the amount of ways for you to tackle any one situation is pretty mind boggling. And it's mind boggling, in my opinion, without being overwhelming, because you rarely get to one of these situations where you're like, I have to get past this locked door, but I don't have the key card. You rarely have nothing that you can do. Something in the game has taught you, whether it's been like an actual kind of tutorial mission or that kind of indirect uh, tutorializing, like you mentioned with that recycler charge, they do the same thing with the glue gun to kind of show you how you can use that. Um, something has taught you about a way you can deal with this. So even if you don't have the key card, maybe you can hack the door. Maybe you can find an air vent. Maybe you can use something else, um, another way into that room to get what you need. Or like you said, you can always go to the security station, find the person whose room that is, maybe they have the key card and there's just so many ways that you can deal with this stuff. And again, it never felt like, you know, I have too many things to do. I'm overwhelmed. It never felt like that. It always was like, let me think about my character, the way I built it, what items I have, what's going to work for me here. Exactly. Yeah. I I generally don't enjoy it when games force me to think like I don't, (laughs) I just don't like thinking in general. I'm kidding. That's what we, that's what we do on the whole podcast is we just think all the time too much, but I I really enjoyed the way that this game pulled it off. They did it in a kind of like, I, I don't know how to describe it. They, I feel like they, they forced the player to think in a way, but that was subtle. They were like, you can do these things. You have the option. You have the choice to do things, but they didn't shove it down your throat to where it's like, oh, well, you can't open the door, then go through the escape vent or anything like that. It was like, you know, obviously, like you said, there are always multiple par- multiple ways that you can approach a, a problem. Um, I, I think that that lends to a lot of things. And I, and I agree with you, Dave. I think I've realized I through playing this game that maybe that immersive sims are one of my favorite genres to play just because of how much fun I've actually had engaging and interacting. Like I was like, it's similar to what Will was talking about with his experiences on, you know, solving problem, getting through a door. Like I like the, the point where you're trying to get up to Alex's office when you're in the Arboretum and I'm like, okay, like I invested in hacking and repair and leverage, but I don't have hacking for because I'm an idiot and I've spread my neuromods out over these meaningless things that I probably shouldn't have invested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what do I do? I take the glue gun and I build platforms along the rock wall face, the sheer rock wall face. So I don't have to go up an elevator. I just fucking use the environment and like the little gr- the glue nodules in order to climb up on there. And the game does like, a- as soon as you get the propulsion system, the game is very forgiving in terms of leveling and platforming. So mm-hmm. I was literally yeah. able to climb up this sheer face wall, crawl under, like they had his office like built on stilt. So it was like this physical object that was sitting above with this little space in between this huge like rock buttress and then there was a dead body lying there then i picked up things on that dead body that triggered a side quest and so i do that i wrap around the building i do the exact same thing and i managed to climb up on there get in his office grab the key card to the escape pod and then obviously things are going forward from there not obviously (laughs) i hope that's not spoilers or anything like that but uh yeah i think that Part of that, Liz, is just it's exciting when you can discover these ways that you can do things that you're not that that maybe that you weren't really supposed to do or the developer didn't specifically ask you to do. Mm-hmm. There's never a voice in your head like when you come up to a problem, 
There's never a voice that chimes in 30 seconds later and is like, hey, dude, look for an air vent. There's yeah. It never does. It's always up to you to figure out the way to do it. But it's never too hidden. Like sometimes when I got stuck, this happened to me in moon crash a few times where I got stuck uh, recently and I had to go, like, I looked it up uh, cause that's what I do. I don't want to spend time being super frustrated. Right. And they were like, yeah, there's an air vent right there. And I was like, fuck Dave, just like take five seconds. Look <laughs> around. There's an air vent. Of course there's an air vent. There, this is an immersive sim. All you do is crawl through vents. Like <laughs> yeah, true. they're called <laughs> vent crawlers for a reason. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, you mentioned that skill tree and the skills you can, um, choose for your character. Um, there is a skill tree. You find these items called neuro mods, uh, throughout the game. You, uh, you'll find these as rewards for finding important places a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of spend those to upgrade different skills that you want for your character. So we mentioned hacking, uh, we mentioned repair, we mentioned leverage. Uh, there's also combat abilities that you can spend this on and you def- you definitely don't have enough to, um, do everything. So you do need to specialize a little bit, but the game is designed in such a way that I really can't imagine you're a way that someone's like going to spec themselves into a corner and not be able to solve the problems that the game gives you. Cause there's usually, you know, maybe you can't repair this door or maybe you can't lift up this big filing cabinet that's blocking a door, but you got those recycled charges. You can just Mm -hmm. take care of that door that way. So um, I had a good time with this. I I really liked the uh, hacking mini game, so I specced in hacking. Um, yep. Opening doors without key cards and opening computers is always uh, more efficient for me, so I like mm-hmm. that. And um, I played this game without some of the things that make it a lot easier. There's an ability that slows down time when you enter combat, and I skipped it. I saw the description. I was like, that doesn't sound fun, or that doesn't mm-hmm. sound good. And, uh, it turns out that's actually like easy mode basically. (laughs) (laughs) And so whoops, bad, bad job, Dave. Yeah. I definitely, uh, used a little bit of the slowdown time, but I like, I didn't notice the impact it had on me. Like I still think was a little bit fuzzy on the way the mechanic worked, but as soon as I started unlocking the, um, the, the actual, uh, Typhon neuro mods and I got the side blast, I was like, Oh, that's the one. And I just started using the side blast off rip. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like the combat focus, you talked about that and it was funny because I also didn't do it. I saw the first one and I was like, oh, slow down time. Like, that's kind of cool, but it doesn't sound too great. And I just did not <laughs> go over to the right where it says slow down time and do 150% more damage. I'm like, what? Yeah. Why did I miss that? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until yeah. I played Moon Crash and one of the characters in Moon Crash just has that as their kind of ability. Mm-hmm. And so I started using it. I was like, fuck, this is so much easier. Like, how stupid am I to, to not use this? Um, yeah, so Nick, you mentioned those Typhon powers. Well, first I'll ask you, did you guys use these Typhon powers? I used them, but I only specced into one. Same. Okay. I didn't even All realize right. the game made you do the one, or rather I thought it made you do one. Like when you're at a certain point in the game, it's like, cool, mm-hmm. da, 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 pick a power. And I was like, okay, I'll pick this one, but I really don't want to. I didn't even realize that you could literally just say, nah, I'm good <laughs> and not do it. Otherwise I probably would have had a big fat zero. Oh, interesting. Um, I used a lot of the Typhon powers and the game tells you that using the Typhon powers will be bad for you because like turrets and stuff will see you as Typhon because you Mm -hmm. have this Typhon material in your body. And so I thought like, I don't want that until I realized that turrets are 
very easy to take care of. Like they're not a problem. Oh, okay. Are they? No, they're, they're easy. You can like throw something at them and knock them. They're like portal turrets. You can just knock them down. They're they're super. (laughs) I can't believe I forsake psychotic, like the psychic powers for, for flimsy turrets. Okay. So they're real fun. It's, it feels like a vestigial, like dishonored, like don't kill too many people or there's going to be too many rats, like that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not true. Just like in dishonored, you can, the rats don't matter. You can do Typhon stuff like, yeah, turrets will attack you, but you'll have Typhon powers. You can fuck up some turrets. That's not a big deal. Right. So that's kind of an odd thing. Uh, but the Typhon powers um, are fun. There's some really fun ones. Like yeah. you can do mimic shit. You can turn into a coffee mug and slide under a door and stuff like that. Yeah, I did see that was really cool too. Like one of the things as far as turning into a mimic that helps you get, I think those are the one rooms in the entire space station, everything else, there's at least two or three different ways to open a room. You can mm-hmm. pick the lock, you can pick something out of the way, throw a recycler charge, but there are certain doors that are kind of, the shutters are broken and the only yeah. way to get in there, or at least the only easy way, I'm sure you can kind of glitch it out some other way, but the only easy way is to turn into like a mug, turn into a stapler, turn into mm-hmm. a tape dispenser and then scoot your way. <laughs> it is really funny because <laughs> I did see a couple and like I went and tweaked with it. Like I did a little save scum because I wanted to check the powers out, but not get killed by turrets. So I was like, let me see what some of these Typhon powers are. I got 30 neuromods. I'll make myself go crazy. And yeah, scooting around is like a little tape dispenser was very cute. I had a good time with that. (laughs) Yeah, the only reason why I realized that, uh, well, obviously you open up the the Typhon neuromods uh, at one point and then that tree reveals itself and you can see all of the, the, you can see most of the powers. You start scanning. I started scanning the Typhons at an early point after Mm -hmm. obviously you get the psychoscope. Um, and you start scanning them and the more that, the more that you scan each enemy type, the more different, uh, type of neuromods reveal themselves to you because it's like you're, you're basically analyzing what they're doing and then just, you know, developing quote unquote in game, you know, the, the neuromods based off of those encounters. Um, and I realized at a certain point that like, I, I, didn't know that turning into or morphing into uh, an inanimate object was actually an option. But like it was a moment where I ended back up in Alex's office in the lobby once again. And I saw at the end of the office, there's these two little holes at the bottom of his, at the front of his office that are like, it's just like architecturally, it doesn't really make sense. Why are those there? <laughs> Is that going to be there? So an enemy can like just come, a mimic can come in anytime it wants um, and, you know, turn into something and then attack you randomly and make you go, ah, <laughs> or, or, and then, and then I looked at the the tree and I was like, oh shit, you can turn into a stapler. Um, and that's kind of, it was a nice little reveal, a little surprise though. I never exactly because January, the way that they presented this up front, they were like, if you do this, be careful because you're probably gonna die a lot i was like highly concerned so i was like Mm -hmm. okay you know what i'm actually handling these typhons pretty well with my you know my my uh security weapons as well as just like buffing morgan normally so i was like i'm just gonna stick with that and maybe just keep my side blast and that that was where i kept it yeah it's um and like so i say the typhon powers are really good and they're really fun but like you said, you can totally just roll with gun powers and yeah. stuff like that. Like the shotgun your gets crazy OP at a yeah. certain point. It, this game has a really good shotgun. Um, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Even that like uh, st- that pistol that you get at the beginning, you can upgrade your weapons and uh, use the kind of security upgrades and 
combat slow down and stuff like that. You can get through it with just that stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, no conversation about weapons in prey would be complete without talking about the glue gun, which is a really interesting weapon. Um, the glue gun, it's an acronym. I didn't write down what it means. It's, uh, it's, Wait, hold it's nonsense sorry, basically, not, but <laughs> it's so funny though. The jelly foam lattice organism obstructor cannon. Yeah. It's I'm great. like, that they, name goes so hard. Yeah. <laughs> they, they totally came up with a glue gun G L O O. And they're like, okay, what do we, uh, how do we fill this in? <laughs> yeah. What's, yep, who's got yep. a word that starts with O? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is an interesting weapon because it shoots out these kind of sticky white balls and we'll leave it at that. Um, and it's interesting because that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting it. because it doesn't do damage, but it's useful for literally everything else. Uh, mm-hmm. So they first show you about um, you can shoot it at enemies to freeze them so you can run up and hit them with your wrench. Um, Nick, you mentioned the staircase building platforms with it, but yeah. it's, it has like 10 other uses, uh, for it. You can put out fires with it. You can yep. plug seal up vents. Yeah. Seal vents. You can plug up pipes. You can, uh, if something's chasing you, you can like go through a doorway and then fill up the doorway with the shit so they can't get in. Mm-hmm. It's infinitely useful and it becomes really cool. And it's cool because in a first person shooter, I normally would not pick a gun that doesn't do damage. I just want to shoot stuff. Right. Yeah. But this is so useful in so many ways. And this glue, the way the glue system works goes into that problem solving that you're doing throughout the game. It's a utility weapon that you use for everything except doing damage. It's so good. Yeah. I every, always had every it on loadout my... I had, I had the glue gun in my mm-hmm. hands and I was running around with it and I had one of the security weapons as my secondary. That was always yep. my default. Well, sorry, Will, I think I spoke over you. Yeah, it was literally literally the same thing. I was like, because I was playing on console, so I was stuck with a D-pad. I wasn't cool like you with the PC where you had hotkeys, but I literally (laughs) had, so the top D-pad has to be your flashlight. So you have the option for your three other D-pad points, left, right, and bottom. And it was always, left was the shotgun or the pistol, depending on how much ammo I had. Right was the glue gun and bottom was the wrench. And that was just me throughout the entirety of the game. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's really, really useful. It's up there with, um, the gravity gun from half-life two as like, you know, not as combat oriented as the gravity gun, but it's fun to use it to problem solve in the way that the gravity gun is too. Um, yeah, good times with the glue gun. And, uh, we've kind of talked about this a few times, but, um, there's a crafting and scavenging system in the game. And we mentioned it with the recycler charge. Um, this is really good and I don't like crafting in a lot of games, especially games that are not like, you know, I play Stardew Valley. Of course, I'm going to need to build some (laughs) shit, right? Yeah. But in a first person shooter, if it's, uh, are all these like fucking crafting farming based JRPGs that are coming out now? I'm like, I don't want to fucking farm in a JRPG. I don't want to, but in this game, um, scavenging a bunch of stuff, going to those recycler machines, making the cubes of matter Mm -hmm. you know organic matter synthetic matter and just carrying around all these cubes um and then crafting stuff like ammo for your guns uh, if you're running out you can craft um neuromods which Mm -hmm. is very useful but they're expensive to make um i had a lot of fun and so this was like the last missing piece so you're going through these rooms and you're getting story content 
because you are uh, reading emails, you're reading lore books and stuff like that. And then you're getting uh, all these items. You're getting circuit boards, you're getting plastic tubes, you're getting apples, you're getting banana peels. Used cigars. Um, <laughs> yeah, used cigars, <laughs> which is great. Just let me fill up my pockets with used cigar butts. Crumbled up paper. Yeah. Yeah. So you're picking up all this junk and then you find these recycling uh, places and you can build new stuff uh, and you'll find plans to build all kinds of cool stuff. You can build neuromods, you can build new weapons, you can build ammo, which I did a lot because I ran out of ammo in this game. All the time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Honestly, I just, just to interject really quickly, one of my biggest complaints was the ammo scarcity because ammo scarcity is fine. And I understand why they did it the way they did it here because they were like, look at all these options we've given you to in order to make more, but they didn't give us enough recycler stations to prepare us for the next levels. Not to mention that every single enemy that's not a mimic chews through like half of ammo that's in your inventory period mm-hmm. point blank. So yeah, that's just me though. Yeah, no, I was totally, totally agree. I was out of ammo constantly as well. And it does start to get annoying, but at least you have the option. Like if you have a bunch of stuff, um, you can go to those uh, fabricators. You can at least make yourself some more ammo. Um, You find duplicate weapons around and you can recycle those. You can get some uh, materials and stuff. So I actually really enjoyed this crafting system uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I would say I really liked it too. I'm also not really big into crafting. But something I am big into is hoarding. So this is kind of scratched both <laughs> itches. Because yeah. I was like, cool, I'm picking up things. Before it even shows you a crafting station, I'm picking up banana peels and used cigars and burnt circuit boards. I'm like, this has got to be good for something. I'm the guy who ends his JRPGs with 99 red potions in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to yeah. have to use this eventually. Yeah. Uh, so this was definitely right <laughs> up my alley. And then when I realized <laughs> that it was all trash that you can throw in the recycler, I'm like, oh, sweet. So I'm literally just filling my pockets up like one of my first upgrades was to get the full inventory for your suit because i was just stuffing my pockets full of stuff running all the way back because i think each area had maybe one recycler a couple of them had two but across each actual level there's maybe one recycler or so so i would get halfway through the level have a pocket full of old cigars and be like cool i'm gonna run all the way back drop them in the recycler hear that awesome and yeah, then i love ding, that ding, 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 sequence I, yeah i love the animation i love the little tink 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 of the the squares and the cubes and circles hitting the thing at the end definitely mm-hmm. gave me some good serotonin at the end of the day oh yeah i love those cubes and <laughs> I, I love yeah, the cubes are perfect i love tossing the recycler charge and turning the enemies into a bunch of little cubes it's yeah, great watch them fly into the air <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah, let's talk about the combat a little bit uh, before we get into um, kind of, well, we could talk about the music and stuff, but then get into a spoiler section in a little bit. All right. So combat in this game is first person shooting. Uh, You also have a wrench, um, very kind of reference to System Shock, Bioshock, that stuff, uh, carrying the wrench around. 
uh, you can spec so that the wrench is really, really good. I didn't do that because uh, the enemies hit really hard in this game, and you're pretty soft. You're pretty yes, squishy, yes. at the, especially at the beginning. This game was really hard at the beginning, um, and the when you just have like a pistol and a wrench and the glue gun and nothing really as far as powers or like upgrades to your health and stuff i thought i thought this was real hard yeah yeah definitely i i experienced well you did you play on did you play on hard mode the same as will no nightmare no hell no okay okay yeah no i i definitely like i don't know like maybe i just had a, a weird experience with it just coming off of another first person shooter game that we can get to here a little bit one of the mm-hmm. ones that you just mentioned but i uh i i kind of enjoyed the beginning of it yeah i died like maybe once or twice but i was like oh this difficulty is actually like i feel like this is pretty balanced this is fairly reasonable um the mimics were a little bit annoying when you had only the wrench to have to whack them and then you encounter like four or five at a time and so you're getting swarmed a little bit mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I, I i think though i i agree with you that the the combat you know you know, using whether you're using human powers or type and powers, I thought was a little, a little weak overall. I think like, you know, that there's only so many enemy types that they just can use and then they continue to iterate on. I mean, overall, I mean, you have like what four or five archetypes of enemies and then they mm-hmm. kind of change those up, you know, uh, in, to kind of intersperse it or making, making certain sections or certain, certain areas a little bit more difficult to be like, Hey, you're not supposed to be here yet or come back later when you have like X, Y, or Z power. Um, but yeah, I think I, I really enjoyed the security weapons for sure. Like those were, you know, like I mentioned before, a little bit my bread and butter. Just out of curiosity, did either of you level up the neuromod section with the wrench? Like did the wrench ever become OP for you guys? Nope. I, I did all but the last one. And okay. I mean, the, the wrench was never OP. It was always okay. a um, mimic slash low health phantom mop up thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Once I started to get some actual like you know, energy blasts. And I used turrets quite a bit uh, before I got to Typhon. Yeah. Same here. So I would like set up turrets and stuff and they're good against a lot of the enemies. Everywhere you go. Yeah, (laughs) I did. I look like a fucking weirdo just carrying this little portable (laughs) turret around through the hallways and stuff. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, shotgun, pistol, that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't really mess with the wrench, especially in the second half of the game. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, we talked about that slow time ability, highly recommended for everybody um, who is uh, thinking about playing this game. Um, The gunplay itself is not really a strength of the game, in my opinion. The guns feel okay. They don't feel great. Um, You can tell that, and rightfully so, Arcane seems to have put the vast majority of their um, effort into this immersive sim type stuff and then yeah they made the gameplay okay it's a lot better in death loop uh than okay in yeah that's exciting because i i have haven't played death loop yet and i know will and i after this game are really excited to get into it and see how yep. we're able to it like how how arcane maybe learned from their experience in developing prey and be like mm-hmm. how did they change that in death loop so that's that's gonna be really interesting for us to dig into yeah the gunplay is more fun in death loop for sure Okay. Awesome. That's good to hear. Because for me, the gunplay in this game was definitely something. I was like, okay, I have to do this to get to the lore. I have to do mm-hmm. this to get to the story. But there were very few times where I was getting into a straight up like brawl situation with the guns, you know, not using mimic powers, not being kind of semi stealthy, what have you, where I was like, oh man, like that was a, a fantastic fight. Because you mentioned things hit very hard. 
And the closer, I'll say anything in this game gets to you is terrible. <clears throat> and yeah. they give you a shotgun where you kind of have to get close. They give you a wrench where you definitely have to get close. Mm-hmm. And then they give you a pistol that's silenced. And it's kind of nice if you're being semi-stealthy. But even in the little tool tips, it says, it works at medium to close range. And at far range, the damage drops off. So I'm like, okay, this is not a long range situation. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be medium or closer. Yeah, there's and there's actually not a whole lot of like, huge spaces like there's no sniper rifle in this game because there's no giant places for you to snipe from a huge distance but like dude will that's why i didn't use the wrench because you got to get close to things to use the wrench and things hit so like even later in the game you'll die in two three four hits uh, against a lot everything that's not a mimic basically will kill you in a couple of hits so you just can't get close And I know that there's a way to like spec the glue gun and spec the wrench so that you're just, you know, bashing people and having a good time. But that's not how I did it. Exactly. And also you mentioned that too. Sorry, go ahead, Will. I was going to say, you mentioned being soft and like even later in the game. And that's probably one of the biggest downsides for me too. You can upgrade your health in the game, but your armor or your suit, which it says it decreases damage. I, mm-hmm. I kind of call shenanigans because <laughs> I'll be sitting here with like a hundred percent suit health and then I get hit by a phantom bolt and it does 70% like of my life, like my straight up health bar and uh-huh. then the suit goes down 10%. I'm like, that is not a good trade off. <laughs> <laughs> so like you never really yeah. upgrade your suit. Your suit can only go to a hundred max. And then if the lower it gets, the more damage you take, which is incredulous because you take a bunch of health damage as it is, even with the suit being up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I found the best kind of way to approach combat in this game is to be stealthy, get in a good sneak attack, because like you said, you'll kill mimics in one hit if you sneak up on them. The uh, phantoms and the other ones, you'll at least get a nice damage bonus and you need it because once enemies are on you, you got to kill them quickly because you, you're squishy. <laughs> Not much yeah. more to say. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit earlier, but one thing that I think really hurts the combat is the enemy variety in the game. And I just off, I didn't count these because I don't do tons of research, but I would say there's 10 types of Typhon. And if I looked it up, I don't think I'd be that far off. Maybe there's 12, I don't know, but there's mm-hmm. not that many. And this is a 20 plus hour game. And you're going to see most of the Typhon types within the first five hours, I would mm-hmm. say. And then later on, you just see upgraded versions of the same enemies. And then, Later on, you'll see just more of them in the same place or like different combinations and stuff. And it's, I don't know, like early in the game when it was just mimics and phantoms, I was having a good time with the combat. And then later on, I just kind of got tired of like, oh, there's, you know, there's three phantoms here and there's a couple mimics and maybe there's a, you know, technopath somewhere around here too. All right, or you get to those places where those those cystoids that are fucking everywhere. The worst. And, yeah. <laughs> I just, it just, this got kind of old and it's really the only thing that I can say is like not super fun all the time is combat and the way that these situations are set up. Yeah, I think that, that part of that too is like something that I really, really wanted Arcane to do was get a little wacky. Like I think so for so much of what they were trying to do, they, they were striving for perfection. They were striving for these very like pure 
visions or pure forms of the thoughts that were relayed from, you know, the creative team. Mm-hmm. And they achieved that in spades. They really did. But I think one thing that actually that impacted the development was like, where were the crazy ideas that were this game? Like I needed like seven more glue gun ideas in this game in order to make combat or apply those to combat in a way that's more effective. Like one of the reasons why I love the 20 to 19 game control from 505 games and remedy is because of the hiss from a gameplay perspective, take on so many different forms. And they also like the way that they built the AI into the hiss was very, very engaging. Now, completely different game, right? This is in no way was that really an immersive sim. Um, however, I will say that like there were just elements that I, I wish that maybe the, the Typhon could have maybe morphed or formed into different styles of, of enemy characters or maybe had different behavior mechanics or maybe like they, there were ways that they could have like leaned more into people who wanted to do a pacifist run that the Typhon behaviors didn't necessarily aggro on a character immediately unless you did a certain thing, like had a gun out or something like that. You know what I mean? And these are just mm-hmm. like, these are 2020 hindsight, you know, Monday night quarter, you know, quarterback ideas. But I, I still think that, you know, there, there might have been a little bit more thought that could have been put into that. It's funny too when you talk about like a pacifist run, because of course, Past the spoiler wall, we'll get into more of it. But I do wish there was something similar to that as well. Of course, you have to fight some of the enemies you can't get through a game, or very often you can't get through a game without fighting. But aside from being stealthy, which honestly for me was very hit or miss, even with my stealth perks increased like to the second one where it's supposed to be more stealthy and even running, they can't hear you. Um, the, the sight for the AI was still very good, which I think is a yeah. good thing overall. I can't stand in like a lit hallway crouched and they can't see me. Like, they're still like, bro, what's going on? But all in all, I wish you can kind of sneak past people easier or do things or um, get into situations where you're kind of either given the option to fight the enemies or the enemies won't attack you, like you were saying, unless you kind of attack them first. Um, And then that would shake up the game systems a little bit more for me instead of Mm -hmm. having me just at the end of the game sprint past stuff that's beating the heck out of me because I'm sick of fighting them. (laughs) Yeah. And at the end of the game... I did that. I I saw a room with six Typhon in it, and I was like, you know what? I've upgraded my running speed a few times. I'm just running through here. If they tag me, cool. I'll eat a potion. Whatever. I am not fighting these things. And to their credit, you don't have to fight in a lot of those kind of annoying late game rooms. You don't have to fight everything. Uh, But I, it was certainly less fun to run past everything than it would have been to like kind of kind of figure out my way through a combat challenge or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And there's something we'll talk about in the spoiler wall that's meant to be a combat challenge that I did not fight because it's just not fun. Um, So uh, it's interesting. Like uh, Nick, when you brought up like ways to get creative, I was thinking about like, well, part of the Typhon story is that the Typhon can, kind of shapeshift and evolve quickly and, and duplicate mm-hmm. and take on the forms of everything. And other than the mimics, which are like a technical and gameplay, like Marvel, they're a ton of fun. There's really not a whole lot of creativity to the rest of the Typhon. It's a lot of them are just like, Hey, this is this humanoid phantom. Yeah. It came from this a dead the body. shadow of a person. Yeah. yeah it yeah, came from yeah. a dead body. It's humanoid. It shoots energy balls at you. Uh, and that's what it does. And that's what it does for the entire game. And there's nothing more to it. Uh, So I am kind of with you there, but 
it's it's really hard for me to look at this game as a whole and be like um i want them to take development time away from the immersive sim stuff because i definitely don't uh i think that that is a triumph so if i have to sprint past some rooms full of enemies to get that delicious like um 0451 stuff then so be it all right exactly 100 percent. and i think the last thing that i will say after all of those critiques all of that being said uh the first time i encountered a fire and lightning uh phantom Mm -hmm. those were some of the coolest moments where they're like because especially the way that the phantoms uh, are designed and the way they look they look almost like they're like they're like you know hunching their shoulders up at you and they're like you know very very domineeringly like walking towards you and seeing the way that they had the like architecture of those electromagneticism inside of the typhon like like ping out of it and off of it especially when you're shooting it with a q beam or something like that some of the coolest vfx moments in this games comes from those encounters so mm-hmm. you know take that for what you will the first time it did the trick for me but then again you know obviously exactly like we said we run into a little bit of repetition which brings it down yeah for sure it's funny bringing that up too with the phantoms is like that was one of the coolest things even about the standard phantoms is you start to recognize how they affect the world around them when they're moving so mm-hmm. you can tell yeah. when a phantom is nearby or like in the room next to you if all the lights in the room are freaking out because just them existing in the room like causes electromagnetic issues. So Mm -hmm. that was really cool when I first started to notice that. Yeah. And that's a great segue into talking about visuals and sound design in this game. Uh, Cause the phantoms especially have a really good sound that they make. So you can, sometimes you can see that like scary uh, (laughs) visual distortion, right? Sometimes you can see that visual distortion, but you also hear them just kind of muttering over in the next room. Mm -hmm. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck, there's a phantom there, especially early game when they're really hard to fight. Um, so that's really good. All the sound effects in this game are great. Like when you pick up a key item, you get a little, a little, uh, a little yeah. ditty. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah, the yeah, thing really that good. plays when you pick up a neuromod is great. Um, all these little sound effects are awesome. And then the soundtrack uh, by Mick Gordon uh, from Doom fame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm the goat <laughs> yeah thinking of that opening theme i mean this is this isn't doom music this isn't the the heavy metal stuff it's quite the opposite yeah more electronic a lot more peaceful and uh, ambient in a lot of ways um but you mentioned that helicopter ride at the beginning uh, when you see that arcane studios on the bridge well that famous song that's playing the theme of the game um it's really good i enjoy the sounds I just love that that song is called Everything Will Be Okay. <laughs> At the beginning of this game. Everything's yeah. not okay. Everything like, how, is how decidedly you, very much not okay. <laughs> yeah. how, right. how dare they? Yeah, I I really think that Mick is a master of his craft. Uh, obviously, everyone knows him from the Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal soundtracks. Uh, sad thing that I understand, though, and this is a little bit outside of Prey, but my my understanding is that Mick actually hated working with Bethesda on this game specifically. And after mm-hmm. this game, he was like, I'm never working for Bethesda ever again because of how the studio managed him. I'm not really sure what was involved there. Do you know anything about that, Dave? Well, I don't know anything about this in particular, like this specifically, but uh, it's recently come to light that the developers of the game didn't want to name this game Prey. They yeah. were like, 
that's a bad idea. That's disrespectful to the people who made Prey in 2006. And yep. Bethesda was like, this is non-negotiable. You're calling the game Prey. And they're like, fuck, I, okay, I guess. <laughs> so it's not surprising to me that Mick Gordon didn't enjoy working with them either. Yeah, I mean, you have clashing management structures, especially like when this game came out so shortly after uh, Arcane was acquired by, you know, Zenimax and just everything that's involved with that. You know, you, you run into a lot of shitty corporate issues that are involved mm-hmm. with publishing a, a masterpiece like this game. And of course, that's going to be the end variety, but uh, uh, or the, the the end result of of that kind of situation. But I really do think going back to the topic at hand, Mick really did pull off this game very well from a sound design perspective and a score perspective. I loved, you know, that everything is going to be all right. I used it in an earlier episode when we were talking about Prey. Initially, I think maybe one of the first episodes that we mentioned using it. Mm-hmm. And I, I genuinely think that like the, the ambiance and kind of the foreboding nature of being in this, you know, it's like a haunted house. You're living in a haunted house yep. and, and kind of every area has its own motif. Every area has its own theme when you walk into it, especially in like a lot of it is very rhythmic and very pulsing um, and, and and just generally foreboding. But it was also like very, very pleasant whenever you get into the EVA suit and you're going outside and, you know, you're mm-hmm. running around and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Little fun, little sci-fi romp. It's it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah I, I just I, I, I did like it. I just again, I think we'll, we'll dig into this later. I just think he that that everyone should have taken more risks. I just like the flexi foam bolts when they're hitting the ground. It's on squeak, <laughs> yeah, squeaky yeah. noise. The sound this design game has great, great sound design, great sound effects. <laughs> yeah. And I think Nick, you mentioned this earlier too. This game still looks really good. I think um, I I like the kind of retro style of you know the spacesuits look. I oh, mean, obviously yeah. they're more technologically technologically advanced than spacesuits that we have in the real world, mm-hmm. but they look kind of vintage. Um, the interior decorating looks very kind of retro in a way. And, um, like you said, a lot of the areas have their own kind of like style and the way that, uh, they're, they're set up. Um, going through living quarters is something that I love in games like this. And there's so much detail in environmental storytelling with the way objects are placed and the way dead bodies are when you find them and stuff like that. Um, so visually this game is, I mean, it's, we're getting to the point where this is going to start to look kind of old um, when you compare it to Horizon Forbidden West and, you know, the right, the next right. gen stuff, like the mm-hmm. next gen stuff. But this still looks really good. And um, Arcane has a really interesting visual style, like when they make people and like their faces yeah. and stuff, yeah. Um, yeah, especially Alex. That. Alex looks uh, unique. <laughs> but <laughs> arcane always does this all every dishonored character looks extremely unique to the dishonored universe and the few people that you do meet in this game too uh same thing yeah a lot of more like caricatures like they exaggerate yeah. features to make them mm-hmm. kind of you know a little bit larger than life um at least with something with death loot too that at least it looks like they kind of pulled it back there a little bit like there's still a very similar vein of style but mm-hmm. you know characters features aren't as exaggerated as they were in like dishonored and in prey yeah for there's so many um kind of studios or art teams that go for a photorealistic look uh to the way faces are made especially like Yakuza, one of my favorite series, you, they yeah. make those in a way you can see every pore on their face and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's a caricaturized is a good word for Arcane's um, 
style here. Yeah, I I loved the environment. Obviously, like the environment kind of just lends to the environmental storytelling. But genuinely, when anybody introduces any type of like like uh, riff on Art Deco from like the 1940s and 1950s of interior design, I eat that up with a spoon, man. <laughs> and it was so interesting coming from Bioshock, playing Bioshock for the very first time for review. Shout out to uh, a play along podcast that had a great episode with Jared talking about mm-hmm. that show or talking about Bioshock itself on, on his show. And that was uh, just, it was honestly a very surreal experience for me um, because, you know, going from this, you know, one style of a very gritty steampunk um semi art deco aesthetics that you find in rapture uh where everything is kind of broken down degrading like very rapidly in in the mm-hmm. case of that game um and then going into the space when you enter in talus one and it's this very beautiful somewhat in some areas pristine science fiction neo retro art deco designs where everything kind of is high contrast but everything looks a little bit gilded and you have like those those curved windows on the architectural like designs i was like oh this mm-hmm. is this is hitting all of the notes that I wanted from an environment. And it's like it in going back into, you know, figuring out what's happening on the station. Like it, it doesn't do the thing that Bloodborne does where it makes you feel like I need to get out of here as soon as I possibly can. <laughs> it does the thing where it's like, yeah, this is bad. You're in a bad situation, but it, just hit that very, very specific note for me where it was like, yeah, things are bad, but I'm okay being here for now just so I can figure out what happened to this one crew member or just so I can go down the side quest to, side quest to happen to figure out what happened to Sylvain Bellamy uh, from the very beginning of the game. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like, I think that's probably one of the achievements of the the art style of this game. Yeah. Um, Arcane always has very interesting art design. Uh, Deathloop is no exception too. So when you guys do get yeah. to that, I think you're gonna you're gonna dig the um the st- the style choices that they made there too. Awesome. Okay. Perfect. So let's get into some final thoughts uh, before the spoiler section to just kind of summarize. And the big question uh, that I've been asking in this section is, who would you recommend Prey to? So for my final thoughts here, I would say all in all, it's a, a game that myself as being someone who one accidentally played it on hard so made it more difficult for myself um but two cannot realistically say that i was you know already kind of enthralled with the overall immersive sims i still had a really good time with it and i understand completely after finishing it um especially i should say after finishing it why so many people put it as like you know one of their top games of that ps4 um the xbox one era so it's the kind of game if you ask me who i would recommend it to I would say if you're a fan of these immersive sims, if you're a fan of something like Dishonored or just those other arcane games, it's a no-brainer. And honestly, if you're somebody who can deal with a little bit of kind of jankiness with the combat, if it means that you're a lore junkie or you just love exploring a world, I honestly think this is the kind of game for you. Um, Similar to what you were saying there, Nick, as far as the exploration and finding out what happened to these crew members, you know, seeing what's around that corner. If you can really kind of push yourself through some of the scares, push yourself through a little bit of the combat, you're way more often than not going to be rewarded with some great lore, um, with some cool environmental storytelling, um, even if it's some crumpled pieces of paper that you can take back to the recycler. I have very few times in this game felt like going to a place completely wasted my time. Yeah, well said. 
Um, yeah, I 100% agree with you, Will, in terms of the people that I would recommend this game to. I like, I have people coming up in my mind right now, folks who love fighting games, folks who absolutely adore first person shooters. Um, I think this is a must play for anyone that enjoys first person action adventure games that really hinge on exploration clearly as we've discussed at this point literally anything other than fps or beat em up games you know stick you know <laughs> stay at home stick to your call of duties stick to your apexes and your wolfensteins you know play all those games those are great games and you know you can enjoy them i just think that you know prey is definitely going to be an acquired taste uh for folks and if you're not willing to give it the time up front I can tell that there is going to be a point in this game where it's like you, you hit a point at the very beginning and it's like this is make or break whether or not you're going to like this game. I think that if you just give it the right time of day and you're a little bit curious and inquisitive, this is going to be right up your alley. Um, and people are going to love it for the RPG mechanics and the storyline at the end of the day. Yeah, I I kind of agree. Like if you're someone who likes first person shooters for fun gameplay uh, like fun gunplay. Gunplay is what I mean. Uh, Prey is going to leave you wanting a little bit, but I think that all the problem solving and the way that the levels in the world have been designed in a way that you can kind of play the way that you want to, games always tell you this, like you play this game the way you want to play it, right? Well, in Prey, they really have set it up in a way that you spec into the stuff that you want to spec into, the stuff you think is interesting, and the game supports you uh, playing that way and problem solving with that stuff. So if that appeals to you, this is, yeah, no brainer. Um, if that appeals to you and you haven't played Dishonored, this, Deus Ex, um, Hitman, stuff like that, if you love this about Breath of the Wild, Prey will give you that too. Um, and also if you like horror games and you, we haven't talked about this, I found this game to be very tense at the least yeah. mm-hmm. tense. And sometimes I told, I said earlier in the episode, I got so scared. I uninstalled the game twice, uh, in the first half hour <laughs> of playing it. So, uh, if you like horror games, I think this game will give you some of that too. So pretty easy recommendation for me, but, this game is, I think it's best for people who like that immersive sim uh, stuff because a lot of the gameplay stuff might leave you uh, wanting a little bit. But still, uh, for my own personal tastes, and if anyone here listens to the show and thinks that our tastes align even in the slightest, uh, I think you'll like this. So easy recommendation uh, as far as that goes. Before we get into spoilers, we got to take care of a little housekeeping. Um, I always turn it over to the guests first to plug uh, your stuff. So where where can people find Friday Night Gamecast? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find the Friday Night Gamecast on any and all podcasting platform that you enjoy listening to. Um, we're also on Good Pods, uh, which isn't generally connected to a lot of the podcast networks, but we also like, we enjoy going put Good Pods because there's a lot of really good discoverability over there. So go ahead and check us out. Leave us a rating or review over there. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, that's where I post a lot of shenanigans and that's where I love to interact with our community. Um, you can find us at Twitter at Friday Night Gamers and that's N-I-T-E-G-A-M-R-Z. And then on our profile on Twitter, we have our link tree listed there. And so you can go ahead and hit us up. Also, we have a Patreon for folks. I know that, uh, Dave, you, you've also just gotten your Patreon up and off the ground and it's mm-hmm. incredible, uh, <laughs> if I don't say so myself. Uh, and so I think that, uh, 
you know, you can find us at patreon.com slash Friday night gamecast and you can get early access to our episodes and some of the higher levels you get voting rights and you can do whatever you want to me. Um, and it's great <laughs> for the money for the right price. Right on. And uh, like I said earlier, a big recommendation for people to check out Friday night gamecast. Um, I really enjoy the show. Uh, the dynamic between you two is great. And the uh, conversations that you guys have are worth listening to also, which is a plus when we're talking about podcasts. So <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. you, you guys, you guys do bring a lot to the uh, little indie podcast community scene that we've got going on here. And I appreciate both of you. Oh, thank you. I oh, appreciate that. Now it's time to talk about me. Uh, so if you want to support uh, tales from the backlog, things to do, tell a friend, um, hit subscribe if you haven't already. And, um, we have a discord server where lots of people are in there talking about video games and movies and uh, a top three podcast, which is my other show. So join the discord server. It's a cool little community and yeah, consider listening to a top three podcast, uh, which at the time of recording is back. Uh, we are recording new episodes and by the time you hear this, there'll be a couple of them out and yeah, it's a good time. Check that out. So, uh, Nick and Will and I are going to take a break, and when we come back, it's spoiler time for Prey. I'm back with Nick and Will, and it's time to talk spoilers for Prey. Time to talk about that opening. Um, I was going to kind of introduce it in the non-spoiler part, and I decided not to because it's really good to go into that unspoiled. So you guys just tell me your reactions during that opening. Uh, Well, first off, you know, doing the whole kind of wake up, running around, I... While I'm not really big on the immersive sims, like I said, I don't have too much of a history with them. I do have that hoarding history that I mentioned. So I mm-hmm. spent a little bit too much time, honestly, just poking through everything in the apartment. Being like, <laughs> okay, are there any secrets? Is there anything for me to put in my pockets? Yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but then actually moving from there outside of the apartment, doing this nice little walkthrough. Somebody's working on some pipes. Hello, blah, blah, blah. Hey, how you doing? Cool. Yeah. I'm going to get on this helicopter. Mm-hmm. Hop on there to this beautiful music that's like playing while you're on that helicopter ride going over to the other building across the whole city. Uh, it was stunning. That initial part there was super, super stunning for me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and then the whole, the whole sequence of like, you know, we said at the top of the show, um, you know, waking up, getting that phone call from Alex, the rhythmic nature of it, the very by the numbers. I was like, this is kind of weird, right? This is a little, this is a little weird. I don't know how I feel about it, but I was fooled the first time that we went through it. The first time, you know, we show up there. Um, and then obviously, you know, you, you go in and you talk to Alex and I was like, why does he look like a bad guy? Why, <laughs> why did they make his character design look like an absolute baddie? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> not not like in a cute way but i i, I like <laughs> went forward and you know you go through the test and i and i see what your notes here are you know when you're sitting there in the testing and the way that the the scientists react to you and i was just like oh this is so fascinating mm-hmm. and then you think it's all a dream 
and then you wake up and you start repeating it and then you go out and you realize you're in full-blown lockdown. The person who was fixing the pipes in the hallway is now an actual skeleton. Yep. Um, and, <laughs> Environmental and just, storytelling skeleton. <laughs> yeah, I know. exactly. I love it. I love it. That's my goal during the apocalypse is to become yeah. an environmental storytelling <laughs> skeleton. My greatest aspiration. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then like, honestly... I, it took me way too long to figure out what I had to do because again, like you were saying earlier, Dave, this game doesn't prompt you to really do anything. It's not like maybe take a look at the window or anything like that. It doesn't, it doesn't do it. But as soon as I like, I started like throwing stuff around the room thinking I, and then I like, I threw one thing and it like cracked the window a little bit and I was like, Oh, there we go. Nice. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then I and then I hit it and it opened up for me and I was like, "Holy fucking shit, it's another dead space. Get ready to hold on to your seatbelts, ladies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen." <laughs> yeah, I so like I when I was I replayed the opening just the other day just to see it again. And I was trying to throw stuff at the glass and nothing happened. So it's it's good that it did crack uh with you when you didn't okay. know that you were supposed to hit the glass with your wrench. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting going back and seeing it again and knowing what happens in the game and why the scientists are so bewildered by the stuff that you're doing in those tests. Um, there's one where they, they tell you to, um, they tell you to hide and there's just like a, a rolling chair in the middle of the room. And yep. so the only thing you can do is like go sneak behind the chair and the scientists are like, is, is he really like, you see this? He's, <laughs> yeah. he's hiding behind the, what, what is he doing? And you're like, what, what do you want me to do? What do dude? you want from me? The next one's like, you have a waist high wall in front of you and you have to like vault over it and press the button and you execute it perfectly. Right. And the scientist is like, that was, um, yeah, that was, uh, you, you're, you're doing good. Uh, moving on next <laughs> yeah. room. And I was like, okay, what is going on here? Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> just messing with your brain. Yeah. And then I like how, uh, the last room they make you, they make you sit down so that you have to watch, uh, the screen, uh, in front or the glass in front of you when the coffee cup, uh, mimic kills that scientist. Mm-hmm. And so that part where you wake up the second day and you go out in the hallway and it's like the lights are flickering, the person's dead. That's where I uninstalled the first time. I oh no! Yes, that was it. Right, that was the moment. <laughs> I like literally five minutes into the game, I uninstalled, and I was like, "I, I can't do this. I Dave. do not want to play a horror game." <laughs> so, <laughs> but you played all of Bloodborne, and this game freaked you out. Yeah, I've. I mean, I've. I've talked about this a couple times on the show okay. about like why Bloodborne doesn't scare me, but like a bunch of other games do. Bloodborne's full of jump scares. And it's dark and there's horror monsters everywhere, but I can kill everything. So, Mm, and I think a lot of games, yeah, a lot of games um, that are, that scare me are ones where it's really hard to fight or you can't fight. Like uh, like Amnesia, Outlast, stuff like that. Soma is uh, the one I played. Yeah, Soma's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's where I uninstalled. And then (laughs) when you get past that, you you go through two doors and you're in that room where the mimic was. Uh, that when it, that room where it killed the scientist, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's a mimic in there and I was just like, I can't do this. And that's the second time I uninstalled it. <laughs> and then I picked it back up and I was fine. So yeah. Got it. 
Um, Funny. Then it was off to the races too. Yeah, and then you just ran straight through it. With that intro yeah. day, did either of you notice? Because I definitely didn't the first time. I th- think I was watching a video about Prey earlier and like somebody zoomed in and they showed the exact moment when uh, Calvino is asking for his coffee and then the intern, whatever, comes and puts the coffee down and a mimic comes from like down underneath, transforms into a coffee cup. So for a split second, there's like two coffee cups on the table and then Calvino grabs the mimic cup. So you can like see that. that. Yeah, you can like see it on the first day, which is crazy. That. I did not yeah, notice you can, it the yeah. first time at all. I noticed that my second time, but it was probably because I was looking for it. Mm-hmm. And was it Calvino yeah. who interviewed you in the beginning, or was that Bellamy? It's Bellamy, I think. Was it Bellamy? Oh, okay, 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 there you okay. Go. got it. I was There's just so making many. sure I wasn't I wasn't. <laughs> There's a hundred and something people on the Talos. Yeah, I'm over here right. like <laughs> mixing them up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And did you guys like kind of go around and explore all of those computer stations that set up that simulation that Morgan's in? You can play that audio, like that weird phone call from from Alex, the one that sounds very robotic. It's just mm-hmm. a file on a computer that you can play and you can turn the looking glass on and off and you can see this like grand illusion they've made. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I was just like, this is so cool. And this is like 20 minutes into the game. And if you're not hooked by now, then I don't know what to tell you. This game's not yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. No, the opening's incredible. Yeah. It's a, a work of art. I will say that for sure. Yeah. It's real good. You mentioned that weird thing with Alex and like how Alex um, is kind of presented as a villainous type. He's not attractive. I'll say that. And so like, you know, ugly people in games and media and stuff, they're the bad guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I spent, and this is something I think is really good about the story is how you go through this game and you're like, Alex is my loving brother. Alex is on my side. And then you're like, man, fuck Alex. This is all his fault. Alan's the, or Alex is the bad guy here. Yeah. And you're like, well, hold on now. I see Alex's side here. And it, you Making go through points. these like oscillations throughout the whole game. And it's, it's really, uh, keeps you engaged and keeps you guessing. Yeah. I, I really, really loved how they played with that character dynamic of Alex. Obviously, like I said earlier, um, you know, I didn't get the, the opportunity to 100% finish the game, but I do know everything that happens and I know, you know, how the story changes, mm-hmm. um, depending on like the decisions that you make or th- the actions that you choose to do. But I definitely started to empathize with Alex at a certain point. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, I, and and it was also like the thing is he he didn't pull like a Andrew Ryan thing where he's like I'm the controller of the space station and this is this is mine and you are all my little pawns and you know yeah. you're just leeching off the work of a great genius that I am he didn't pull <laughs> one of those um, even though that kind of like maybe he subtly thought that way or felt that way he was the CEO you know of the the Talos One Industries or whatever they called it in this mm-hmm. game this time and so he was a very important character in terms of the lore and the canon of this game but it was also the information that he was obviously they set up january and alex as both unreliable narrators pseudo unreliable narrators at this point yeah unreliable guides for sure you don't know who you can trust exactly and so i was very suspicious of january at the very beginning where he was like and i am doing this very specific thing because that will engage your or that will has a certain percent chance to increase your trust in me and i was like "Mm, (laughs) that's a little sussy i don't i don't know how i feel about that but then obviously like the the different voice calls that you get from alex throughout the game like clearly the the developers set him up at the front to be like 
like, oh, he's stopping Morgan from achieving whatever their goal is at this point in time. Like he's getting mm-hmm. in your way and he's going to be the final boss that you have to take out. But then slowly over time, he's like, he, like he starts breaking it down for you. he's like, listen, I need to talk to you. Like we have to work through this together because you're doing things that you don't understand the scope of what's actually going on. And then when they start playing with those concepts of like what you know isn't reality or like you know your memories aren't necessarily as trustworthy or maybe you shouldn't even trust yourself the video that you save for yourself and that whole thing between january and december um like it just i thought that it was really really fascinating so i think alex is just a a very very artfully achieved character in this game Mm -hmm. there was definitely a point uh where you're going up to alex's office um it's like right I think it's right before the point where you stop Nick um where you're going to the the objective is to get to Alex's office and I was like I'm going to fucking kill Alex like I hate this guy like when <laughs> yeah. I was going that's what I was thinking and then yeah. it's a quick shift uh when you see how he's been living he has his little like bachelor like room that he mm, like yeah. studio apartment he's been living in when, and first I was like uh he's got so many snacks in here and I'm like, I'm scavenging out here. Like, dude, you're hoarding all the snacks in here. You motherfucker. Yeah. But then I was like, this dude has, uh, he's not exactly like living in like the penthouse suite or something like that. Yeah. He, he's really got it rough sad. up here too. Yeah, he does. And then like, obviously when, when you, before you get to his room, like, cause his room is in a separate place from his office, but it was interesting how, you know, it's like very much like you still get those characteristics and Benedict Wong killed it in terms of the voice acting in this, mm-hmm. in this actual game. But you get the sense of like, they were very much brothers and they do a very good job of that. And he was like, Alex says something to the effect of Morgan, you, you know, I never liked it when we were kids and you would sneak into my room and then hack in my computer back then. <laughs> and I still don't like it now. And then out of spite, I went over to a sculpture that was like to the left of his desk and I picked it up and I tossed it out of a wall and it broke. And he was like, a voice message came back. He's like, do you, did you just break that sculpture on purpose out of spite? Or I'm just <laughs> gonna assume that you had a fight with a typhon and that's the reason that cost more than like this entire station's yearly salary combined and i was like okay alex all right fine whatever bro (laughs) dude there was another time when uh you it's been a while since you've seen people you've been out scavenging like having a hard time for a while and i was like strapped for supplies and you go into this I, this like conference room and there's like this table it is full of snacks and i gamer behavior hoarder behavior will i immediately yep. i went up to this table just started snatching up snacks and the person there's like hey dude these are for everybody like what the fuck and i was like <laughs> yeah. oh my god you you caught me in my compulsive gamer behavior like well done game that's exactly what happened to me too yeah. i had to save scum it i felt bad i was like oh Arcane no here, calling us here's your bananas out. back yeah, oh, i'm William. so sorry William's such a good person. William is the type of person that will literally pick up trash no matter whether or not it's convenient off the side of the road and then walk (laughs) until he finds a trash can and does it. So that's very, very uh, in character for you, sir. (laughs) I think I know how Will's ending turned out for him, but we'll get there. (laughs) Wait, with Alex, though, uh, it was so funny hearing you talk about that day where you're just like, I'm going to get up to Alex's office and just completely kill him, like wipe him off the earth. Mm Because even from the beginning... You know, I was playing through and like you mentioned, Alex is like loving brother and you're like, things are kind of weird, but he's still my brother. Maybe we're just estranged. And then, of course, you find out what he's doing and the reason why things are happening, not only on Talos, but to you yourself personally. Mm -hmm. And even then, which is probably 
in my opinion, the worst part for Alex, where it's like, okay, this is what really drives him as the antagonist to your protagonist. I was more like, bro, what, what the hell? Okay, now I need to talk to you. Like, I'm not going to just murder you. Like, I want to know why did you do this? Like, I, I demand answers. So if yeah. I ever got to him, I was like, I hope there's like a press F to grab Alex by the collar. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why yeah. did you take my life? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. But even though I got up there and it was like, oh, he's a sad boy. Yeah, we didn't mention that, that um, the reason that Morgan is an, a silent protagonist um, is because of these neuromod experiments. And I had in the notes to talk about in the spoiler section how removing a neuromod uh, resets your memory to the point when you first put that neuromod in. And they're doing these experiments to put neuromods in, do experiments, then take them out and kind of reset Morgan's um basically brain to that point. Um, and that's why Morgan doesn't know what the hell's going on because they started these experiments so long ago that Morgan's memory is so far back in the past, not like years back in the past, but it's been a while. That's why Morgan doesn't know anything about what's going on currently on the station. Um, there, it seems like if you read notes, there are whole, like relationships that Morgan had, like a romantic relationship yeah. that yep. Morgan doesn't even remember because he doesn't of these remember. experiments. And she's like, she's like sad about it. She's like, you can tell that she's like very much pining for their relationship. Cause she's like, mm-hmm. you just walked right by me in the hallway and acted yep. like you didn't even know me. What did I do? Just uh-huh. talk to me. Like, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's very tragic. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting play on the silent protagonist. And like, I, I don't know. Silent protagonists are pretty hit and miss. I think that like a lot of games do good story reasons why they're silent, but uh, this one in particular really, really works. I mean, as we're recording this, uh, the Chrono Trigger episode of my show came out a couple weeks ago. Um, Chrono is a silent protagonist who there's no reason for him to be silent. He's just silent. And in this game, they do a good, cool story reason why Morgan has to be a silent protagonist to learn all the things that they should know, but they don't so that you, the player can learn them too. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so yeah, Alex Morgan. Yes. Uh, let's talk about that nightmare. Typhon. Uh, um, God. this was, this was Damn an early nightmare. game challenge. Uh, so it's, I think it's pretty early in the game when the nightmare shows up for the first yeah. time, the Arboretum super early. Yeah. Um, so I have a specific memory of how I dealt with the nightmare the first couple times, but I want to turn it to you guys. Like what? Cause if you're listening to this and you didn't play the game, the nightmare is this giant Typhon that will fuck you up. It is so powerful. It's yeah. so hard to kill, especially early in the game um, that it becomes a, I don't know. Well, I'll ask you guys, how do you, how did you deal with this? Well, you got to remember once again, I was goofing around on hard mode. On hard mode, <laughs> God so, so I didn't recognize. And first off, Nightmare uh, freaks me out when I first opened up like the door to the Arboretum. And it was like, oh, be careful. Look, there's a giant thing there. And I thought I was going to have to fight it initially, like right when I go into the Arboretum, which luckily wasn't the case. However, from that point on, it randomly spawns, which means when I had to go to the crew quarters, which is the exact next area, I open the door, there's a giant lobby, and guess who's standing in the lobby waiting for me is the nightmare. And not only <laughs> is he just standing there, he automatically locks onto me because even crouching, he can see exactly where I'm at. And I thought, okay, well, I have a couple of recycler charges. I got a few shotgun rounds. You know, I can do some damage here. One shot. 
completely one shot me. Obliterated you. It, it did that to me six times in a row before I just walked in, saw the nightmare, and then walked out. Because luckily, they do give you the option to just fuck off for mm-hmm. three minutes <laughs> or two minutes and let it despawn. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I was curious about like, so, so before I get into my nightmare encounter, I was curious about what you guys felt about the saving system in this game. I ran into many situations and areas where the autosave is quite infrequent. And so you'll get through a couple of tough challenges and then you'll come face to face or you take a wacky mimic shot or, you know, a phantom shot or you run into the nightmare, heavens forbid. And, you know, it just completely one shots you. And then like your, your load last saved game was like potentially anywhere from like five to 20 minutes before you got to that encounter. Did you guys find that frustrating or was that just the game? So I save every five minutes. I learned to, I started learning to do that. It's a game between glitches and random enemies. You got to just constantly save and it's free. It's not like you have to go to, you know, a typewriter. So I always loved it. Yeah, this is, this is a dishonored habit. Um, hitman habit where I just, I quick save all the time. Like every, every single enemy you kill once a, quick save. once a minute, like if I do anything or my, I'm about to attempt anything quick save. Yeah. Yep. So yep. that, that is definitely something I ran into that I had a little bit of trouble with that may have potentially slowed down my progression through the game, but nonetheless, we find ourselves here today. My experience with the Typhon was, I think not as bad as maybe either of you. I, I don't, I don't know if like the, the nightmare kind of at the point that I hit it or the point that it comes up. Yeah, it is very huge and terrifying looking in the way that they designed like the, like again, going back to the, um, the, the sound design elements, it's actual noises that it makes are individual and separate from both mimics and, um, and the, uh, the phantoms. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that that was really interesting aspect to it. I, fought my typhon and because i i did not all the time i fought the like the first couple of times um because i did stockpile a little bit of ammo because i i knew that that was coming up after january you know let you know in your ear i was like oh well i'm not going to mess around with like a lot of these phantoms or a lot of these mimics that are in the arboretum and so i started stockpiling and i found that um the nightmares are kind of dumb when you get up on them. Like, obviously, <laughs> we know that, you know, getting in close quarters with phantoms, never really a great idea unless you have something in the bag and you can throw a recycler and you know they have low health. But the thing about the the phantom is that I started noticing that they got hung up on geometry kind of easily because the actual oh. character design wasn't built as well. Did you find that as well, Dave? No, I didn't have that experience. I just knew that they can't go through doors. So yeah, they can't go through doors and they can go up steps, but they have a hard time going up steps. And so something that I was telling Will earlier is that I noticed like, you know, in that first, you know, Phantom Encounter, I like, I saw it, shot it a couple of times, started running away. There was a nearby stairwell. It went up the stairwell a couple of flights and it started following me, but it did this thing where it was like going up and then it just like, for whatever reason, maybe something in its actual like geometry got hung up on Probably the polygons the of that staircase. And so it kept trying to go up because it could sense me there and then i just unloaded shotgun shells and recycler charges into it until it died so yeah so that was that was a lucky happenstance although i will say there were times where i was just goofing around i did remember to save before my next you know uh, nightmare encounter and then i started like getting close to it and when you get close to it it does have like elements where it's like if you get too close it'll like whip around and maybe like blast you but you can also like sidestep dodge 
a little a little bit easily if you're if you're just using your agility right in the right way and so i was kind of whacking it mm. with my wrench a few times because at that point i had fucking nothing left and i was like well what am what do you expect me to do game and then mm. at the end of the day i realized like it's just not worth it it's just not worth the time investing or the ammo investing in trying to kill one of these things so at the end of the day i just started hiding and leaving as fast as i could because exactly like you said dave even if it clips you like obviously i wasn't on hard mode so it wasn't an immediate one hit kill <laughs> but it's going to knock out like half of my armor and then like 75 percent of my health so i can just you know chew through a you know a health pack and then just keep on with my business yeah i want one of those goof fan uh i want one of those goof nightmares that you got because at one point <laughs> i was in morgan's office at the top of the damn lobby yeah. And I saw a nightmare down at like the floor and I was like, oh, that sucks. I'll just wait in my office for two minutes. That thing walked into the office no and started way. killing everybody. <laughs> started, what? Yeah. Started killing That's all insane. of us. I was yeah. so mad. The first time one came up uh, for me, I had a very cool experience. It was like, uh, I haven't played Alien Isolation, but it was very much an Alien Isolation. Like this thing's stalking and I'm like hiding in a in like a closet, just like, please don't come in here. Don't see me in here type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, that ran out the timer. I felt really good for figuring out a solution for that. And then the next couple times that they came up, I did the same thing. I hid maybe like mid game. Cause I didn't realize that I thought this was one nightmare. So mid game, I was like, I'm powered up. I got some turrets. I'm going to kill this go. thing. And I set up, yeah, I set up, uh, I set up an ambush. I set up turrets around corners. I was like kiting it through these hallways and I killed it. And I was using, um, when you go up the elevator, like the, you know, the grav shaft elevator, it can't follow you up there. So I was using that yeah. to like give myself a minute to heal, um, and kind of regroup. And then I jump back down the elevator, like pop, pop, couple of magic spells back up the elevator. Um, and I killed it and I was like, fuck yeah, I did it. You get like a trophy for killing it. And then, you know, 45 minutes later, there's another nightmare. And I was like, what? Okay, this is, I'm not fighting. I'm not doing this again. This is bullshit. I killed it mm -hmm. once. Don't have to do it again. Uh, so I found out their big weakness, uh, the thing they're weakest against. And I think, Will, you brought this up. Loading screens will kill the nightmare and take it away. So <laughs> really, yeah. yeah, every time a nightmare spawned, I was like, okay, where's the next area transition loading screen like let me go back to the lobby or into one of the other places let me go out an airlock or something the nightmare can't follow you so yep, just left <laughs> yep just that's uh just you know dipped. real real winners quit if it sucks hit the brakes <laughs> that's exactly how i felt i'm like i'm not gonna quote here. from dave real winners quit <laughs> yep hit the bricks <laughs> i'm like this is my dark souls moment over here smashing my head against the wall of this thing i'm like nah i'm good let and me then just you wait find two minutes you find the real, uh, you know, Sigma male way to deal with it is just run. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just run. Just run like a yep. true Sigma bale. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Nightmare sucked. Um, and then you get a side quest later to like permanently take them out. And I did that because I was sick of it, it basically became an annoyance. It was like, I'm trying to do this thing. A nightmare came up. I got to go find a loading screen to get rid of the nightmare. Then I can go back about my business. So when that side quest came up to kill them, uh, take them out forever, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. Um, it was cool the first couple times, and then it got real old. Yeah, yeah I, I, I said, that. It was really said cool. this to Will earlier. Uh, Resident Evil 2 did it better with Mr. X. 
Resident mm. Evil 2 remake. <laughs> in Moon Crash, there is a there are I don't remember. I think there's one nightmare that I saw in Moon Crash, but there's another enemy that is similar mm. and they're just okay. they're just more fun, they're more interesting to deal with. So Okay. They they worked with that a little bit. Cool. Um Yeah. So Another cool like story revelation that I found um, interesting in the game is you you're going through like these testing labs um, and you find what they call the volunteers uh, that are volunteering for Typhon experiments, right? And yep. they volunteering in air quotes, <laughs> yeah. and then you find out that those are Soviet prisoners that are being tested on, and so we get into. Another one of these dystopian, this dystopian corporate, uh, dystopian science type storylines here, and I thought this was interesting, and it directly leads into my favorite side quest of the game. Oh, which yeah. is the the chef? Yeah, the chef. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think like um, my first live human that I met was the the inmate and the inmate <laughs> that you find in Psychotronics. Mm-hmm. Um. And that was like, honestly, I was very, very scared with William. William is always the, the a perfect non-spoiler person because I was like mm-hmm. talking to him about my experience. And I was like, man, like, you know, I love it because you go to a security station, you're able to look at who's alive and who's dead. And I told him, I was like, I'm just assuming everybody's dead. And the only people that the computer is registering as alive are phantoms, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if that's how the system in the game works or if those no. people are legitimately like alive um but yeah i was like i was very concerned because you know for a while there i was like this is a kind of a lonely game this is a lonely experience am i the only living person on talos one still um and you you get to the point where it's like finally you're down there and then he's like yeah they they were testing on me um and then like you have the the terminal in front of you and you're like pull rap sheet or something like that and you're able to read all of like the you know crazy heinous things that this guy did and he was like oh what you probably pulled my history didn't you you know just want you to know that i'm not the same person that it was he basically just trying to like argue for his life um Mm -hmm. and and honestly i like i sat there i was like dude you're the first human being that i've come across like i'm always (laughs) I'm genuinely a person that likes to give people second chances um, and also like like I don't feel good about killing the only other live human being, even if it's a shit bag. And I, I, I felt strong in myself. I felt like the only other possible situation that could have happened with his volunteer was like, he comes out and he starts trying to fight me like good old Skyrim style. Oh, like you, you pulled your sword out in the wrong town or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and that, but he comes out, he comes out and he just, he's chilling. He's like, oh, you know, I'll give you that code to that thing that I told you I was going to do. And, you know, he does it. And, you know, come to find out that actual voice actor who plays him is uh, Walter Goggins, um, who is yep. uh, who's pretty, pretty famous. He's a he's a pretty famous character actor. So I was like, oh, I love it. Um, but yeah, pretty cool little little side mission storyline. But I loved like the whole thing with the volunteers when you go into you go back to the Neuromod division and you go and see their quarters and you see the like the testing area and the testing facilities and like everything that they're doing and like the weird situation that they got all, them all set up in, in this like little set of cramped quarters with like mm-hmm. uh treadmills and everything. I thought that was fascinating. I don't know if you what you guys thought about that part. Yeah, all in all, I mean the the volunteer section, like you mentioned, 
with the little treadmill and like little spooked off spark was really funny. I'm trying to figure if it was something to where it was just the game overall being like, okay, we're in spooky hours. So it's pitch black or if they oh, yeah. would also be like, Oh, these guys are Soviet gulag volunteers. They, they lost in the gulag and war zone. So we're not going to give them light <laughs> for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was really fun. I really did enjoy that little mission too with, I think it was Ingram, if I'm not mistaken with the, the volunteer in the cage. I can't remember the exact like name, but yeah. Oh um, yeah. I, I did appreciate too that not only can you, you know be just completely evil and like feed him to a mimic, yeah. but if you do save him to get to where he was at, there's a couple of different pipes that you have to plug up the fire with the glue gun to get there. And of course you wouldn't necessarily know that I had to look it up later on. Cause I was like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. You know, the reason why he's not surrounded or there's no mimics over there, or no Typhon over there in general is because the fire was blocking them off. But if you go plug all the fire up and go talk to him and then leave, then the Typhon can get to him. So if you were to plug all that up <laughs> and leave and then come back and you let him out and he's just standing there, he's dead because the Typhon came and killed him. But if you were to, I don't know, for some reason, plug the fire up, talk to him and then go back and break the glue to let the fire back in. You can go back and forth there and he'll always be alive because the Typhon can't yeah. get to him. It's yeah. super weird. It's no, something I would never think of, but no. hey, leave it up to, um, leave it up to the developers to be like, you know what? We're just going to have this guy get completely wrecked <laughs> if you don't like back him up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely didn't give that chef uh, a second chance because I was mm-hmm. mad he kept booby trapping me everywhere. Oh my like he god! <laughs> locks you in the freezer. Uh, you got to try and figure out a way out of the freezer. Um, like absolutely not. Yeah, and then you go out. There's recycler charges like booby trapping the doors and stuff when you try and get out of that kitchen area. So when I did eventually like finish up that quest, I was like, nope, this you got to go. Uh, yeah, he's he's dying. I, I sure. can't let this fly for sure. Did you notice, because it wasn't even just like the kitchen area, I would go to completely other wings of Talos 1 and I would have to literally look at like an elevator or a doorway because he had booby trapped it with a recycler grenade. Mm-hmm. That's how I got that <laughs> achievement to like recycle yourself is because I didn't realize he was trying to kill me like that. I was like, oh, he set a trap, whatever, cool, in one door. This is kind of crappy. And then I would try to go up a um, door I thought I had powered up before. The door was powered down. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> I powered it back up and then I just zoop, get sucked into a recycler <laughs> grenade. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that, that was awesome. It was very annoying, but but pretty cool to be like, oh man, you quote unquote helped this guy and now you're going to pay the price for it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, did you guys have any other favorite side quests? Because a lot of the side quests um, involve either trying to go save people um, or uh, dealing with other problems around the station. The other memorable one for me was the person who got stuck in a cargo container floating out in space after a, um, I don't remember if it was after a hull breach or if it was just like a mix up in like the, the transmitter that like was supposed to send it into the cargo bay or not, but you got to go out and rescue that person. Is that when I enjoyed that one? Sorry. Was that Igwe that was out stuck in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then that was like during the hull breach. Yeah. Like he jumped into a crate to not die (laughs) yeah that was that was really cool i like the one where you're in the arboretum and you come across the greenhouse for the first time and you realize that the um you go up to the window and you see the guys and that's the first actual introduction when you're introduced to the 
the floating Typhons. I can't Technopath. Yeah. Or yeah, the what, Telepath, rather. The Telepath the tel- of the original telepath, ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Telepath. And uh, you realize that it's controlling the humans that are alive in there. And I quickly realized I was like, well, the guy was alive when I showed up. And it's controlling him, but it's not killing him. So clearly the telepath is, is the thing that I have to get to. But I realized that like as, as I was standing by the window, the actual NPC started to aggro me and be like, oh, you get out of here. So they had like little voice mm-hmm. acting lines. Don't come any closer, that sort of thing. And I was like, okay, so I just have to kill the Typhon and then they'll be, they'll be cool, right? And so I like, you know, did the classic glue gun thing. I jimmied my way up until the top because you could tell, like, I think there was a note that said like, you know, use the, use the the surroundings to your advantage because the typhon doesn't know it can just go up and so i just climbed my way up there and uh saw that like literally there's just it's an open air greenhouse i think i didn't even think there was any glass and i started firing on the typhon from up there and it definitely killed me once um (laughs) but because i was like that that side blast is like too too strong um Mm -hmm. but then i finally kind of got the drop on it and uh and yeah and rescued the the security officer um can't remember her name for the life of me but she was a really cool character so i enjoyed the fact that i actually got to rescue her especially Mm -hmm. because she was referenced in numerous other little like emails that and uh little flavor texts that you pick up along the way there too so i I like that a lot in the the golden gun side quest was really cool um actually getting that upgraded version of the silence pistol i really enjoyed that one yeah Yeah, nice little nod there to uh to golden eye yeah yeah for sure I really like too. It's kind of intertwined with the cook quest, but where you're helping out um, Danielle, Danielle show, Danielle show. That, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was Who, really uh, fun too. Danielle show um, was apparently supposed to be the main character of the game before they oh. decided on Morgan uh, to be the main character. Oh, well, okay. Why? I had no idea. Why did they, ch- I, why did they it's switch? It's funny too. You know? And do, not, were they keeping yeah. Danielle's name as well? Cause that would kind of make sense, I guess, with her overall name being like, it seems like a, not amalgamation, but a show Dan which is like the antagonist yeah, from system shock. That's so what that it was sense. Uh, as a nod to system shock too. Yeah. Um, there you go. That okay. makes sense. Interesting. Yep. But, um, eventually I guess they changed it. And I think that Morgan, um, being, you know, Alex's brother is a really good thing for the overall story of the game. Cause it means more Alex and more Agreed. attachment to Alex. Yeah. But yeah. I really like Danielle's quest. I, I like, like you were saying before, cook had to go so when she was like you got to go kill that <laughs> son of a bitch and i was like you don't got to tell me twice i'm on it i'm on it mm-hmm. i'm on it so i really like that side quest um a lot of the side quests there were some that were very fetch questy but at least yeah. one of the ones that was kind of fetch questy i was able to one do ahead of time which i always love when a game lets you <laughs> yeah. pick up a quest item and then you're like oh this must be for something later and then someone's like hey can i ask you to go get me oh my god is that it specifically yep. what happened with this the wedding ring it was like with this ring um if you go up in the crew quarters there's a phantom kill the phantom drops a wedding ring every once in a while you'll see a named phantom which generally gives them a little bit more importance mm-hmm. and then when you get back over to the cargo bay or rather you get there for the first time you're talking to this guy same last name so if you don't notice it immediately you'll notice when the quest starts he's like hey i've been looking for my wife I mean, I think at this point she must be gone, but can you find anything from her? And I just had to like sheepishly hand him like a, a ring that was, you know, sorry, buddy. I kind of smoked her two hours ago. (laughs) Whoops. But you're right. That is a good thing. uh, Whenever games do that, where you get to a place, you find a quest item. They just let you pick it up and finish that quest right away. Um, It seems like 
more modern games are a lot better about this where they're just like, yeah, just, just hold on to that. It'll be fine. It doesn't fail the side quest cause you didn't start it the bright, the right way. Or exactly. it's like, um, like they're like, Oh, you can't pick that item up yet or something, or it won't even spawn until you have the quest active or something like that. Um, yeah. very cool that they do it like that in prey. Helps cut back on some of that backtracking because we already mentioned that a little bit uh, in the pre-spoiler wall. But yeah, the backtracking is a little rough sometimes towards the end. So mm-hmm. imagine if you had to wait to get to him in Cargo Bay to get the quest and then go back to Crew Quarters and then go back to Cargo Bay. I'd just be sick of it. Yep, 100%. Um, speaking of getting sick of it, um, I think we're into this like home stretch area and we're going to spoil this for you, Nick. You cool with that? Oh yeah, I already know everything. So okay, it's, okay. It's cool. <laughs> I was gonna say, so the ending of this game, um, not the ending, the kind of last third of it, I think, is like by far the worst part of the game. Mm-hmm. You get so you get to that part where, and I, I forget the order of these things. There's two things that I think really suck. Um, where you have to scan a bunch of coral um, to. I forget even why you're doing this, but you have to go out in zero G and scan a bunch of stuff, which means motion sickness for Dave. Not great. Mm -hmm. Um, And also combat (laughs) in zero G was just not fun. Um, Especially with the weavers. Yeah. I never enjoyed, I literally just blew right past them as fast as I could in, in zero G. I never tried to fight the weavers. The the Mm -hmm. fear debuff is one of the worst things in the game. Cause I feel like, yeah. And I didn't like look into it. So maybe I should have pressed start and like check my status and see what exactly it does. I know it shakes your camera around, makes it harder to shoot, but I felt like if I had the fear debuff on, I didn't do damage. So like I would hit them with the psi attack and then I would get feared and then they would take mm-hmm. no damage at all. And it was incredibly frustrating. I had to sit there and pound booze yeah. to fight off the, <laughs> the fear debuff, which is, which is great. Oh, I got the, I'm afraid of something. It's a good thing. I hoarded up these bottles of scotch and mm-hmm. uh, let me just down those. I'll be able to get back to business here. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what I want to do. I want to drink like an eighth of vodka and then start shooting this pistol. It's going to yeah. be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a space station. No yes, less. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> Firing a gun randomly inside of a pressurized environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other part, um, which is where you said this is the last thing that you got to, Nick, is when um, the soldier, what's his name? The, I forgot to write his Adol. name. It's Dahl. Dahl. Yeah. When he comes to the station, um, because apparently Transtar has sent him to clean it up. Um, and the the entire station, this is like the beginning of like the downslide into like this game not being super fun. Because um, the station fills up with security bots everywhere the entire everywhere you go there's a non-stop infinitely replenishing supply of security robots and this unless you deactivate or put glue over top of the dispensers from what i understand yeah and so i thought of that when i was playing this i thought like i wonder if i can jam up the dispensers and i tried it and i just must i just must not have done it right because it didn't work the new robot came out and just busted the glue out and i was like Mm. oh interesting and i have seen and i have heard that you actually can do that i just must have fucked it up yeah so this like really sucked uh for me and you want to talk about like um kind of just getting going up to an NPC and just being like, I'm going to kill the fuck out of this guy. The second I see him doll was like that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he did, did not care at all for him. Okay. 
Uh, you know what's the funny thing too? I honestly felt the same way. We were talking about Alex before and I was like, I don't know how you could kill Alex. But no, the chef and doll, I'm like, these two guys got to go. Yep, got to so go. The, sh- the chef ended up <laughs> killing himself just based on how his quest ends up. But with doll, it's so funny. I, I was 100% ready to kill him. But my trick for fighting his actual military robots was using the uh, taser gun, the electric gun. The shooting the robot yeah exactly yeah. shooting them with the disruptor and then beating the hell out of them with the wrench so that was like my go-to move for so long that when i came across doll about to execute alex that's what i went to go do i didn't realize i didn't have a pistol i just had the electric gun so i shot that and hit him and then that opened up a side quest <laughs> mm. not killing doll actually like gives you more things to do in the game which is ridiculous <laughs> that is interesting yeah, yeah. Oh, because I understand that you can actually spare him and say that in that lends to the end game where they're starting to assess your empathy yeah. um, at the very end. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. Was his oh, character yes, just annoying? Did, did he not have good dialogue or was he just like, I'm going to kill you, get out of my way type situation? Yeah, it was more the latter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That and he was he, annoying too. He would call you a lot. He called me like five times in an hour. Oh, wow. It was very yeah. annoying. He calls to talk shit. He calls to tell you he's going to kill you and that, he, you know, you have lost control of the station, which you have. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. But, but it's not yeah. wrong. <laughs> I was mostly mad at him for um, disrupting my kind of scavenging, exploring, problem solving yeah. loop and just the filling fun, it with the fun that you were having. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this was the beginning of me literally just running past everything for the next probably the last hour of the game. Like I just ran from place to place. I did not fight anything because there's just too much. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, man, you would walk into a room, there would be a weaver. Cause especially to the later on in the game, you walk into an area for the first time and you just see coral all around. And my heart just dropped. I'm like, Oh God, I got to fight a weaver in here somewhere. Sometimes mm-hmm. too. But you walk into a room, like you mentioned before, and you see six Typhons, which could be like a weaver or two, um, maybe some mimics running around, uh, electric, um, phantom, phantom. And then one of those technopaths slash telepaths, which I hate both of them. Uh-huh. Any enemy that has those kind of tracking bolts were just terrible. Yeah. And they both had them. There was another one too. I think it was the technopath that also had a bolt that would just spawn in front of you. So you had to keep constantly moving. Otherwise it was just going to hit you and knock out electricity to your suit and to your weapons. Uh, it just made him a pain. So just like you said, it was Sprint City. I was just running for it. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if like, oh, go ahead, Dave. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, man. Well, my my one question was is like, do you think that that Arcane Austin like thought about that in the dev time? Or they, do they think they like purposefully put them there because they're like, all right, we want the player to rush at the end, or do you think maybe the developer was rushed and they were like, well, we're running out of ideas, let's do this and see how it lands. It's possible because, like, in the story, everything has, like, gone to shit. Like, by this point, um, there's that, like, that kind of, like, Leviathan um, Typhon that, like, breaks the side of the Arboretum open and stuff. So, like, things are not okay in the station anymore. So, I kind of get it being overrun with that. And then during that doll section, it being overrun with security bots and stuff like that. So, like... From a story perspective, it fits. It's just not fun. So yeah, yeah. maybe they, I'm sh- I mean, I'm sure that they play tested it and they got feedback and they might've just been like, um, yeah, we want you to feel underpowered and overwhelmed now. And running is maybe running is what they want you to do. 
Yeah. It's just that, yeah, it's not as, it's not as inventive or in line with their thought processes at the first, like, half of the game or first, mm-hmm. you know, three, you know, three fourths of the game. Yeah. So getting to that ending, though, this is where things start to get really interesting again. Uh, first of all, you, you're talking with Alex and you have a choice of, um, building a null wave device that will hopefully kill the Typhon and preserve the research. Cause this whole time, Alex is like pleading with you, like, Hey, you do what you got to do, but like, please consider that this research we've been doing is super valuable and it would be a huge setback to destroy it. Uh, so why don't you try making this null wave device? These things, this, I don't know, null wave kills the Typhon will hopefully preserve our research or you can blow up the station and just take everything out. What did you guys do? I went ahead and saved everybody and rather not saved everybody, but, um, did the no wave, which took a little bit more work for me. I had to go find a place that I couldn't float around. Cause as you mentioned, the Arboretum was open and you couldn't use the fabricators. So I had to go mm-hmm. find a place, fabricate the no wave device, go back down to psychotronics put it in there in like the the apex coral, like the mainline coral, and then go all the way back up to the bridge to start it. Part of me was like, oh, I should just blow it up. Because at least for me, I'm not sure exactly how, you know, both of you kind of interpreted like the good ending, quote unquote, bad ending, quote unquote. But I was like, I feel like it would make more sense to just blow it up and leave no trace. You know, that way nobody can make these mistakes again. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you lose the information you lose the science but you hopefully don't lose the people because i set it up to where the folks would be able to escape on the pods or in the ship no matter what Um, but the reason i didn't blow the ship up is because i didn't want to go back down to the reactor where there were two (laughs) technopaths when i was leaving out of the reactor because in that area you have to like get out and there's two technopaths there and i was like cool i am never going back to that room so the second (laughs) told me i had to i said nope never mind (laughs) interesting Gotcha. Yeah. What would you have done, Nick? So the way that I was playing, I would have tried my best to save as many people as possible, as many good people as possible. I probably, you know, I would, you know, I ended up killing the, killing the, the cook, killing the chef. Uh, but I feel like that for the most part, the, the way I was playing, I really, really, really wanted to take the shuttle. I really wanted to take the shuttle out just to see what would happen in early mid game and find mm-hmm. out what that secret ending was or like what happens during that secret ending. So you guys are going to have to, you know, fill me in on that because I chose not to. I was like, nah, it's, it's, too, it's fine. I'll go yeah. ahead and just keep on trucking. But, uh, <laughs> I, I really wanted to take that shuttle and just say, fuck all y'all and just get out of there and tell everybody about the Typhon, um, and to take the selfish way out. But no, I would have done the no way for sure. Um, to, to kill the Leviathan, Typhon, Typhon and everything and just preserve Talos 1, um, and have the folks get off via shuttle there at the end, uh, mm-hmm. would have been my, my route. Yeah. So I did, I did as many side quests as I could to save people. There were a couple where I could not figure, there was one in particular where people were stuck in an escape pod, I want to say, and they're running out of yeah. air and I, I just couldn't figure out how to do it and they died. Um, but the other side quests I got, I, I saved as many people as I could. And then I blew up the station, uh, because number, number one, um, this station is fucked. Just <laughs> get yeah. rid of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. number one, top to bottom, start from scratch. Yeah. Uh, this research might be valuable, but you can fucking do it again. Like 
we we gotta take we we gotta do something about this. Uh, so yeah. I blew up the station. Um, the other thing, though, and this is an interesting, like, kind of just video games philosophy question, is whenever you're given one of these choices in video games, it's it's always presented as like a a difficult philosophical choice. But to me, the fact that this the fact that video games are not real means that I can take the more reckless thing. And I'm just like, there's no, this is a video game. There's no consequences. I can do whatever I feel like. So maybe if it was real life, I might be tempted to try to use that null wave. But since it's a video game, I was like, no, fuck it. Blow it up. Kill me too. Who who cares? Like (laughs) this is, this might be the right moral thing to do. And it's a video game. Nothing matters. Yeah. So did you just sit in the chair at the end then when it gives you the option to just wait it out? Yeah. Just sat down and yep, I don't want to set the world on fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it was a very I was kind of frustrated by the gameplay at the end, and that may have played into the the decision to just be like, no, fuck it, blow this whole thing up. Like this is past redemption. Um so if you do the null wave, what happens? Because I didn't like look it up on YouTube. Yep. So when you do the null wave, um, you, you know, go down to back in psychotronics when you see that first weaver and on that satellite is where they found, you know, the very first Typhon. That's where the kind of apex coral is. So you put the null wave device on that, run back up to the bridge. And if Alex is still alive and January are still alive, they're actually arguing at the bridge over what to do. So of course, Alex wants to have the null wave go off, save all the, you know, the facility as a whole. And January says, no, I was literally programmed to make sure this place blows up. So while they're not coming to blows or anything yet, January completely has the terminal shut down saying, you have to kill me, i.e. you have to kill yourself. Like she specifically said that to Morgan. Like, mm. if you want to go do this, because I'm not going to let you, you told me not to let you do this. And then when um, Alex says, you know what, screw this, whatever, I'm going to kill your robot. Then she, in self-defense, knocks him out. But you still have to make that choice. You have to either then say, all right, I'm going to go blow it up with Alex being knocked out, or I'm going to kill January, you know, suicide by proxy, which is an achievement you get if you uh, actually kill January. Nice. And then you hit the no wave. Doing so will destroy the Apex Titan, and it will, as Alex says, knock unconscious all the other Typhons on the ship. Um so everybody's safe at that point. And that's how it ends. Okay. So that actually does work because part of that decision is also the fact that you're not sure if that's going to work. It's just like a, Hey, we think this will work, but we're not We've sure. We've never tested it, it before. Yeah. yeah We've never done one this sure. big before, you know? Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, we made our choice for the ending and then, um, this game started with a big old fake out and it ends with a big old fake out too, Mm -hmm. uh, because none of this was real, but not in a stupid way, in my opinion. And I'll get your guys opinion on that too. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, (laughs) it's like, I think they do enough with the story and connecting the things that you've done up until that point to justify this not being real. Right. You with me there? I had, I had a premonition in this game, like earlier on, because of the way the environment is built and the way that Alex was acting. I was like, 
I said to myself multiple times as I was sitting there floating through space, I was like, this shit isn't real, is it? Like, everything <laughs> that I'm doing, I was like, I, I know this is some type of, like, simulation or, like, I'm in a dream within a dream or something like that. Like, this, they're, they're trying to pull crazy mind games because they set you up for that. And it's like, that's the expectation from there on out. I was like, I am not believing anything anyone tells me until oh. I see the events, you know, unplay. Interesting. Uh, play, play before me. So I was like, you know, I, I went through the game being like, Nothing matters. Everything, everything is, uh, everything is already either dead already or, um, or like I'm just, I'm just living, I'm just reliving experiences or something like that. So yeah, it was a, you, when I looked up the endings of this game and the fact that it was a double fake all along and then Alex is sitting there, um, and then you are in fact a Titan that has implanted memories from Morgan. Yeah. And the, the experiences that you were on, on, that you were, you know, going through on Talos were actually just Morgan experiences. And Will kind of did a good job of like shoring this up for me. It's like, you know, obviously there's different routes that you can take, different paths you can take or decisions that you can make, but all of them were at one point, uh, Morgan's choice or he had the option to make yeah. those choices. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, that it is, it is all very real. It's just not you who was experiencing that. So I thought right. that was very interesting. Yeah. Did this, did this get you, Will, or did you predict it too? Oh no, I got, I got faked out completely. I was yeah, like, cool. Too. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, I had no idea. And it was like a hidden place. I was like, okay, what is this? And then sitting there talking, I'm like, first off, I saw the robots and I still, cause I didn't do a deep dive yet. I, I don't know if, the operators that, you know, Danielle, uh, Dr. Igwe, and, um, you know, the couple others of those operators, are those still people talking through the operators? Are they just operators that were people in the simulation? Right. Like, I'm still not a hundred percent there. Yeah. I'm not totally clear on if those are consciousnesses from those people or if yeah. those are actually just them talking to you through, um, the operator. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. either. Yeah. But it That's was just really it's neat having them kind of recap what you did during the game. So I thought that was amazing, too. It's obviously in a game full of choice. You know, yeah. you can tell your choices kind of matter at the end because they'll give you a nice a nice little rap sheet. It's like, oh, you could have let me die, but he saved me. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, you tried to save all of us down there. Yeah, I died. But, you know, at least you tried. It's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. they even talk about, too, during the game with those technopaths, Nick, as you mentioned, how they take over human minds. You know, you have multiple options to be non-aggressive to humans that are mind controlled you can knock them out with a taser you can use a typhon power um, mind jack to just kind of knock them unconscious and take their their minds out and be good to go but if you just go through and say nope someone's trying to kill me i'm going to shoot them in the face then they'll bring that up at the end they were like this man was very aggressive to humans i I wonder (laughs) i wonder if the typhon is slipping through so that was that was a really cool and then that choice at the end really kind of capped it off i feel Mm -hmm. like it's always kind of iffy when you have a game at the very end And you're saying, okay, do A or do B, because then I'm thinking if they do a sequel, especially how it's set up, there's going to have to be a canon ending. There's no way A and B can work. Um, But I think this game did a really good job, though, though, for a game like this, right? Just the way it ends, it feels like it's setting it up one. It's just it's probably not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. So I first of all, I got faked out by this because I genuinely thought after the opening fake out, I was like, okay, they've. I'm through there's the no illusion. Way they can now. do this twice. Yeah, there's, they're yeah. not going no to get me again. Um, but also, <laughs> uh, I'm the type of person who, like, when I play games or watch movies, I never see a twist coming. Absolutely mm. never. So any twist yeah. will get me because I don't. Um, I'm just there, like vibing. I don't 
read between the lines or like catch foreshadowing ever. Yeah. It was January that did it for me. It was, was January's it? behavior that really set it home for me. I was like, this isn't something that's, even though it is an operator and it was acting in the way that operators are supposed to act, it was just the way that was interfacing with Morgan. I was like, this is just way too suspicious to actually be reality. And then on top of that, when December, like there's that whole confrontation between January and December and December is like, look, like you can get off the station. You should get off the station. And that's that whole side quest is like, who is December? And then you go out after you've acquired whatever key card that you need to get access to, you know, the office and everything. And in you know, January straight up just murders December. Like as you show up there, I was like, <laughs> that's not something that a reliable guide does to another like seemingly benevolent, hmm. you know, character in the game. So it's just like, I was like, this is a, uh, yeah, nobody's on my side. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah I, yeah. I saw nothing coming at all. Um, so to kind of summarize again, if anyone's listening who hasn't played or if you're listening and it's been a little bit, um, the ending is that you are a Typhon the whole time. Uh, You've been implanted with Morgan's memories and you're running a simulation uh, to test whether you can feel empathy and similar human emotions uh, to act as a bridge uh, between the Typhon and uh, humans. And I like this ending. This is why I don't think there's going to be a sequel because this already wasn't real. And then when they show you reality, Earth is covered in Typhon um, coral. I think it's called covered in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, earth is fucked there's there's no earth anymore for all intents and purposes so that's why i don't think there's going to be a sequel Uh, also i don't think um arcane and also probably bethesda are interested because this game didn't sell very well so Mm -hmm. um, it's a shame too yeah it is a shame i i mean i i think i i was gonna say it earlier Uh, the only reason i really bought this was because i put it on my wish list and it goes on sale for like five dollars now um, yeah. including the DLC. So yeah. even for a game of this quality, it still goes on sale super cheap. Um, but anyway, so that escape pod ending um, should have given me a clue, but I'm so oblivious that I didn't catch it. Will, did you do the escape pod? Yeah. Yeah. I did the escape pod and, and I did like, it didn't completely tip me off to, Oh, this is fake. But mm-hmm. I think part of it, too, because it ends not with like a not even the fake out Far Cry, how you would do like a, oh, I'm going to wait 10 minutes and then the game ends and this is the end of the game. Run mm-hmm. credits. It just straight up says, oh, it's like, OK, you did this fake ending where you escape with the pod and then it gives you a load screen. It even told me life signs like ended like I had died. So yeah. it should have tipped me off there. But I just I was like, oh, this is just not this is not correct. I, I chose yeah. the wrong path. <laughs> yeah. So. Nick, uh, what happens is you get on the escape pod, uh, you leave, and then it it immediately cuts out to like, I don't know, computer graphics, basically, you know, code and stuff like that up on the screen. And you hear Alex's voice and he says, nope, this isn't the one. Let's start it over. And then uh, (laughs) the screen cuts out and you reload uh, your old save file. And even with that, I, I was like, huh, that was weird. Wonder what that is. And then I forgot about it like five minutes later. I was <laughs> yeah. like, mm-hmm. it should have, you it, were just too mad about the operators on the station. You were like, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Just in hindsight, it's the most obvious thing ever, but I didn't catch it. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, but that, that's a hint to what's actually going on here because they're running these simulations on this Typhon. 
um, to see if it can feel empathy. So when you go through your decisions that you made, um, they're relaying it as like the choices you made, were they empathetic toward humans were, or were you aggressive toward humans or, uh, what's the word like indifferent to the fate of humans. They want to find a Typhon that is nice to humans. And I passed their tests because I did enough of them. I didn't save everyone, but I passed their tests. Uh, Will, did you? Yep, I passed their test. Yeah, I figured since since you're safe, scumming to be nice nice. to everybody. Yes, I was like, let me be nice. Yeah, I was like, I don't even want to eat your fruit. I'm sorry. Exactly. (laughs) They saw that happen. They were like, this is the one for sure. He gave that banana right back. Yeah. So you get the the choice. Alex spares you um, and kind of says like, okay, this one was successful. Move on. And he kind of reaches to shake your hand. And you have a choice to kill Alex and all the operators or not. Um, So what did you do here? I, I of course took the hand. I was like, let's go ahead and do this. And it was yeah. really, really cool. Cause did you take the hand or did you kill? No, I, I, I shook his hand. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was awesome seeing your hand like turn into Morgan's hand too. Mm-hmm. As you shake his hand. That was really great. That was a good touch. That's what made me feel like, Oh, they must be not. They must be, but I'm sure they were hoping that does well to do more of a sequel. Cause I don't necessarily think they would go to earth and it would turn into like an aliens two time to shoot them all down moment, <laughs> but maybe they would, start to say, okay, we have a Typhon that is empathetic towards humans. Like, how are we going to maybe have him spread the gospel to the other Typhons yeah. and then maybe we can like, or, like rebuild the relationship. Yeah. Right. can do something like that. Yeah. But it was cool though. It was definitely a nice little moment there towards the end. Yeah. And so looking at this as like a total package as, um, all the foreshadowing that was there and the things that you're doing that was being judged kind of silently the whole time. Um, and then, looking at this as a total package as um, an experiment, basically to find a Typhon that acts empathetically towards humans. Um, How do you guys feel about this now that you know everything about the plot and like what's going on and what you're actually doing? Uh, I don't know about you, Will, but I love it. I think I genuinely think that, you know, there are a lot of developers out there that pride themselves on being, you know, master, you know, masters in, in narrative, you know, storytelling and, and, and emergent gameplay and, and environmental storytelling and all that. And I think that Arcane has really proven themselves with this one for me. Um, and I think, and I, and I enjoy it. I know that a lot of people think that like, you know, the, the ending, of a nothing was real kind of lands flat or falls flat with a with a lot of folks in in the audience it didn't for me here especially with the understanding that like yes the events were real uh the things did happen even though they were just you know you you might have chosen to do something as the typhon that maybe morgan didn't do i think that it like leaves a lot to the imagination and there's just enough mystique and and lore in this game to support everything that they are able to pull off here so i i definitely think that it was as a complete package um a great a great master stroke i i just think that at the end of the day um they didn't take enough risks with this game to the extent that I wanted them to. Like I was telling Will earlier and he got a good laugh out of it. Like, you know, I wish that we had an Aliens 2 moment in the game where like a nightmare shows up. But then all of a sudden you see a body with this like awesome cannon that was like somebody from like the, the R&D division and you like take it and, <laughs> and like and you have a Mega Man moment and you just blow a hole through the Typhon. Like that would be fucking cool. And then like, you know, I wish they let Mick Gordon because they really reined him in for this compared to like you listen to all of his other pieces of work that he's 
he's done for, you know, uh, Primal Instinct and, you know, obviously the Doom franchise. And I was telling Will, I was like, man, I wish we got in a situation where you, like, at one point in time, obviously you're scared, you're scared, you're scared, but then you have that one weapon or that one power up that makes you feel like an actual god. And then, like, you know, EDM drill music starts kicking in and really hitting hard <laughs> and you're in the middle of gameplay and you're just blasting the hell out of these cyphers. You're just like, yeah. But again, like, if they did that, it would kind of subvert the entire point of like, this is a simulation to like figure out what the Typhon is going to do. So, um, I, I get why not all of the aspects of this game were empowering, but at the end of the day, I enjoyed my time with it. I am going to play it and I am going to complete it even knowing what is, cause I just want to see what happens and I probably will go and try out Moonfall too. But yep, all in all for myself, this was a very fun game. I had a huge mid-game slog. So anyone who heard me talk about this game mid-game, they're probably going to be like, oh, man, he's going to rip this game apart because I was like, man, the combat is killing me. I'm backtracking too much. <laughs> like I'm this and I'm that. But it did very much wrap around back towards the end. Um, if you're going to talk about highs and lows for me, this is very much like a opening was amazingly high. I had a mid-slump and then the ending really struck for me again. Putting yeah. everything into place for me regarding the story and all the things that you're doing, even if it feels like a fetch quest, even if it feels like something that's kind of inconsequential, when you look at it through that lens of you are being tested to see if you are empathetic. So it's like, yeah, getting someone's wedding ring for them or going to get a piece of music for somebody in the grand scheme of things for the game seems like a fetch quest and that it's boring. But it's really trying to say, are you someone who's willing to go through two to three load screens to get a little piece of music for someone <laughs> when you really don't have to? And that's what the game was trying to get across at the end, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I really equate this to just a lovely little jigsaw puzzle. If you put together half of the jigsaw puzzle, you put together a quarter of it and you're like, oh, this isn't a horse. It's like, of course, because you're looking at the pieces. But if you just look at the whole thing and you really just encompass from A to Z with the story, from A to Z with the combat and the fighting, A to Z with the overall weapons and what you can do in this emergent gameplay world, the lore itself, being able to mm -hmm. kind of read through those books, read through those emails, check those transcribes. Um, this isn't a very easy recommendation and you may not necessarily love it. But even if you just get through that first hour of the game, I feel like anybody would be able to say this is an excellent like achievement in gaming moments is playing through mm -hmm. that opening. Yeah. So with that ending, I kind of agree that like a lot of stories where you wake up at the end and it was all a dream are that's kind of a lame way to end a story, I think. But in this game, the things you do... the th in the game, the things that you were doing, the decisions you were making did matter um, in the story because you are trying to be like the chosen Typhon to bridge the two species, right? So mm -hmm. that doesn't really bother me, the fact that it was um, all, you know, made up. And I think it's that one little extra layer that uh, you were silently being judged the entire game for the way that you play and the decisions you make, Um Really, really enjoyed that. And you mentioned with those side quests, like a lot of them are fetch quests, but fetch quests by themselves are not necessarily like a mortal sin. If you make the act of going to that place and getting that thing interesting, then mm -hmm. a fetch quest is fun. Uh, and in this game, going through all these spaces and exploring and scavenging and all that stuff is really fun. So I never like got sick of you know, the act of going and getting something, it was really just like, you know, yeah, I have to go to the Arboretum for the seventh quest. I have to go there again. That started to get old. But other than that, 
Um, yeah, good times. Um, I would say if we're going to like lay out our trajectory of like fun versus time in the game, um, the early part of the game was frustrating, but fun. Cause you're so underpowered. Agreed. The middle part was what yeah. I like, Nick, you're saying you wish for a time where you felt like you were untouchable. I felt untouchable in the middle third of the game. I was crushing everything. I was killing the nightmare. Really? All the, yeah, all the phantoms, they didn't stand a chance. I felt like a God. And then in the last third, when it's like, okay, you feel good. Well, how about each room has six times as many enemies in it? Now, how do you feel? And I was like, okay, I'm just, you know, going to run, hit the bricks. So (laughs) that was a little bit less fun, but yeah, overall, um, I really enjoyed the story. You know, if we're focusing on the story, um, I enjoyed the endings. I enjoyed how everything kept me guessing. And we talked about the relationship with Alex. That was always interesting. Um, thinking about, Alex's motivations. Like, what does he actually really want? And it turns out that he's not an evil in the simulation. He's not an evil person. He's just trying to protect the research, um, which, you know, you want to value research over the lives of people on the station. That's evil, but, um, he's not as evil as he's portrayed to be all the time. And then Mm -hmm. in like the real story, Alex is trying to save humanity, trying to save the earth. And he's, from what we can tell him and possibly four other operators are the only people left uh, as far as we know. So it's, it's a really interesting story with him. Is the question in like, no matter what ending that you choose at the end of this game is the assumption that Morgan is dead or just nowhere to be found. I thought so. I think the assumptions that Morgan's dead. Yes. I would think too. Okay. And that they're using Morgan's memories probably because they have them, logged from all the experiments that they had done because you know yeah. the simulation is real memories so yeah yeah i i had assumed that morgan's dead and that's why they're using this typhon with morgan's memories okay okay makes sense all right so good times guys this was uh we're coming up on three hours this was a good time thank you guys so mm-hmm. much for coming on yeah, no, thank you so much, it. Dave. Did we break any records for Tales from the Backlog? <laughs> oh, no. We have, we have another hour to go before we hit the record. Oh, oh my God. God. What, what game one. was that on? What was that? That was, was, that? Uh, that was Hitman 2, and Disco oh, Elysium was about three hours, 45. So, Ooh. okay. All right. I got to check those out because I want to play yeah, Disco fantastic. Elysium. So, that's on my backlog. Yeah. That's a that's a good episode. That was uh, Rick from Pixel Project Radio on that oh, episode man. with me. He's such a talented yeah, shout, guy. Shout I, I, I love yeah. Rick's work. Rick's the man for sure. Yeah. Shout out to you, Rick, if you're listening. You're probably not because <laughs> I don't think you played Prey. But shout out to PPR. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Well, again, thank you guys so much, and everyone listening, thank you. And again, check out Friday Night Gamecast and stay tuned next week for the next game that comes out of the backlog, Prey Moon Crash. I actually know the game. It's the DLC for Prey. Play it. Mm-hmm. It's good. Play it. See you guys. Now it's time to beat the mind game. Now it's time to beat the mind game. And now it's time to 